This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler Patterson and Michael Remus. All right, what is up, Winnipeg? Believe it or not, we are alive. We have made it back just in the nick of time. To get at it with another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Not the uh, not the victory Monday that we had hoped for in the peg, that's for sure. Uh, but man, we've got a lot to talk about with um, an absolutely incredible Grey Cup. The Grey Cup and the CFL always deliver. Unfortunately, though, for, uh, for us here in Winnipeg and Manitoba and our team, it did not end up with a, a big victory party last night in Hamilton. Um, welcome to the program. Uh, I knew it was going to be touch and go, uh, both with the activities of the weekend and today's travel schedule. But uh, shout out to Reem. We were up uh, basically before 5 a.m. Winnipeg time, made it from Hamilton to Toronto. Shout out to Air Canada, flight on time. Everything rolled out. We were in the back of the plane, so it took a little while to get out. But um, we're here and we're ready to go. And we are going to, of course, talk about the Bombers' loss and the uh, dynasty denied last night in uh, in Hamilton. Um, it, John Hodge is going to jump on with us. We're also going to have um, uh, Jamie Thomas, uh, Jamie Thomas, with the good news. Bless the Jets. Thank you very much, because there is a ton of excitement about the hockey team, and I think it will be a little easier maybe for Winnipeg sports fans to move forward after yesterday's loss and kind of focus on the Winnipeg Jets and the hockey team after the crushing disappointment of uh, the 110th Grey Cup for Winnipeg being denied their third Grey Cup in four seasons. Um, It has been an incredible run for this club, and it was so damn close. But, um, you know, with with everything that we focus in on Winnipeg, first off, I've got to give a ton of credit to the Montreal Alouettes. I know Jeff will speak to this, as well as John. Um, one of the most unlikely um, and incredible CFL Grey Cup champion stories we've seen. This team was without an owner, uh, what, about seven, eight months ago. They lost their starting quarterback. They lost their number one receiver. There was major questions as to whether they'd be a team, whether they'd even be able to comp- compete. And uh, they're planning a parade right now down in uh, down on St. Catherine Street in, uh, in Montreal after um, an absolutely thrilling game-winning drive in the final minute of the game against a defense that had been the measuring stick in the Canadian Football League for the last four years. So there is lots for us to get to. Um, you know, I'll just quickly, because we got to get Remus in here, and, I mean, we have so much to so much to talk about today. Shout-out to everyone that's with us live in that YouTube, and, and, and thanks to um, everyone that jumped on. We had that special Saturday show where, and I know one bird's already on me for being the prophet of doom, because I did have a dream earlier in the week that we were doing a show on Monday talking about what the heck happened. And I said it all week long. The re- what was making me nervous was how confident I was in the Bombers. Um, but I think maybe I, like a lot of people, put too much into the way the Bombers absolutely manhandled Montreal, especially on defense in those two games earlier this season. And... Um, Yet here we are. Although I, I won't take, uh, as superstitious as I am, uh, I, I, I won't own that one. This one was determined on the field. And the fact of the matter is the Montreal Alouettes were the better team yesterday. And they deserve to be 
holding that Grey Cup up after the way they continued to fight back against a team with the pedigree of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, but listen, a, a huge shout out to all of our sponsors that uh, continue to make this show and trips to the Grey Cup possible um, and this sort of programming. Uh, our friends at Modern Man Barbershop, Aquatech, Modern Man Battery, Canadian Club, who of course are a huge sponsor and supporter of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as well as Princess Auto and Cool Bet, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, the Winnipeg Jets and Little Brown Jug, F Apparel, Nick and Nikki DQ, Wallace and Wallace and Vita Health. And don't forget... Get over to um, winnipegsportstalk.com slash contest and enter your name. We'll be picking uh, a few names a little later on. we got to get qualifiers for Thursday and Friday when we were so busy and didn't have access to it. Um, so we'll give you three names a little later on who will get marbles in that race we'll be doing for that beautiful Trevor Linden jersey at the end of the month. But uh, it was an absolutely amazing trip, an incredible week for all of us. Shout out to the Bomber fans. I mean, the support that this team gets everywhere they go. Um, is the envy of the Canadian Football League. I will say that. And um, But it didn't end that way, and there was a lot of probably long faces and, like me, hoarse voices from uh, all the fun and festivities of the weekend. Well, let's get Remus in here. Reem, listen, we'll get to the disappointment of yesterday's game in a minute, but um, how did you enjoy your first real Grey Cup experience? It was, uh, it was great to have you there, and I thought the shows went amazing, and... Um, Everything was perfect, frankly, except for the final minute of that damn football game yesterday. Yeah, it was all all great until the end of the game. But um, yeah, it was my first time at a great cup. We enjoyed the festival, uh, checking that out. Uh, I thought Hamilton was a great host city. Um, it was certainly a lot of fun until, you know, a couple of minutes left in that game. But, hey, it was a great, great experience. I'm glad that we went. We had some good shows and got to see a lot of people who we've talked to virtually or on the phone for many years and uh, see him in person. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you hadn't really ever been a part of Grey Cup before. And I mean, again, we'll focus in on the game, but um, I'm interested in your perspective, the spirit of the CFL, the fans of the CFL, mm -hmm. and what we saw at the team parties. You came out on Saturday with all of us and, you know, went to the Bomber House and Stamps House and Lion's Den and Ryderville. Um, Full marks to Hamilton um, for delivering a great, great venue and atmosphere for the game, um, as well as the entire weekend. That, like Winnipeg, is a place that loves and respects the Canadian Football League, and I thought it was great. But, um, you know, outside of the game, how did you enjoy the, uh, you know, the real CFL experience that brings people from all teams together from across the country? Yeah, it really is like um, a fan convention. I mean, everywhere you go, everyone is wearing different jerseys. I loved the... Uh, festival at the convention center where each team had their own room. It reminded me of going to a social at like the convention center here, but you know, it's divided up and people are wearing, you know, all sorts of gear dressed up. And there are a lot of passionate fans uh, of, of the CFL. You certainly saw that. And uh, you know, getting me hyped up for uh, Vancouver as a host city next year. But uh, you know, if you haven't been out to a great cup, I mean, I think even if you're, team isn't in it uh, i think you can certainly have a lot of fun there well and listen it's going to be in vancouver next year we will certainly plan to be a part of the festivities whether the bombers are in it for a fifth straight year or not and then uh, two years from now uh we're the hosts and the great cup comes to winnipeg and i know winnipeg and the blue bombers in this city are going to be um are going to be putting a uh, a great great show on and 
um, you know, if you don't get out there, you know, make sure you, you uh, even if you're a very casual fan of the Canadian Football League and pay attention to the Bombers every single year. Um, we see more and more people come out, check it out for the first time, whether it's going to a game or in the terms of the cup, you know, be a part of some of the events around it and get hooked and come back year after year after year. A special shout out to all the Bomber fans. I mean, man, we had so much fun. and I can't even, too many people that mentioned count that uh, came up and uh, said hi, uh, mentioned that they were regular listeners and um, had loved the coverage, but, you know, also just really enjoy what we're doing here. Um, talking about the Bombers and the Jets and all the important things in Winnipeg Sports Talk. So that was very, very rewarding as well. Um, and listen, overall, it was an absolute riot. I mean, we got a chance to hang out with um, a bunch of the Winnipeg media, media from across the country that was at our hotel. Um, obviously, with the big guy, Dusty, who uh, got a chance to drop a couple what is happenings at the end of the game, unfortunately, uh, at the expense of our Bombers, um, as well as Dave Naylor and Farhan, the entire crew. So um, overall, the week itself was great, but uh, it just ended in, uh, in, I mean, I'll be honest, dude, I, I'm still stunned of uh, the way that it happened. And, you know, to see Cody Fajardo, a guy that had been tormented and terrorized by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and this defense for his entire career in the Canadian Football League, to see him step up in the final two minutes of the game and lead what will just be known as the drive in Montreal. Um, finishing it off with that um, touchdown pass to Corey Philpott against that Bomber defense was uh, was jaw-dropping. Um, I did, well, I, I'm not going to say I didn't see it happen because I did think that the Winnipeg defense um, showed some chinks in the armor a few times yesterday and it certainly wasn't anything we saw in the regular season between these two teams. And there wasn't a lot offensively from Montreal, I think, going into that game that indicated that that would be the case. Um, but you know what? Cody Fajardo is a hell of a player. Um, he rose to the occasion. His team rose to the occasion. And Jason Moss talked about it. This team absolutely believed in themselves. And uh, you know what, first, before we kind of break down what the heck happened um, on the Winnipeg side of things, there's a lot of credit to throw out for the amazing story that the Alouettes authored that ended up with them winning the 110th Grey Cup last night. Yeah, um, there were a couple key plays for the Bombers, but uh, for the Alouettes, you know, they put themselves in position to win. Uh, they had the ball back and uh, was an incredible drive by Bodie Fajardo, included him, what, running for... 13 yards on a second and 18 and, you know, third and five. I mean, that play uh, to have the guts to toss it up for a 30 yard completion. Um, incredible. And, and then the game winning touchdown uh, to Phil Pot. Uh, that was, it was tough to watch. I know the bombers, there were certainly some parts of the game that are going to be debated. that are still being debated in our chat for a long time. Uh, the two red zone turnovers, Certainly hurt them, but they did have some big plays on, on defense. Evan Holm interception, the goal line stand. Uh, they had another turnover as well. But um, even if you know you look at the QB lines, if you told me before the game one quarterback is going to go throw for 290 yards, three touchdowns, and one pick, and another quarterback is going to go throw for 236 yards, no touchdowns, and one pick, I would say, oh well, Zach Kolaris is going to be the guy with you know three touchdowns. Uh, but no, it was Cody Fajardo and a lot of people including myself, 
uh, doubted Cody Fajardo's ability to have a game like this, and he proved a lot of people wrong on that last drive. But for the Bombers, I mean, they had, you know, once they got that stop there, us in the fourth quarter, and Montreal punted, the Bombers had great field position. What, they needed one first down? It takes even more time off the clock. And even then, uh, Cody Fajardo had to drive, what, 80 yards? Uh, you know, you think best-case scenario was a field goal, but they end up— And we go to OT. Yeah, and you go to OT, and, the, and we kind of felt like we're getting there. But no, they went for the jugular and got the touchdown, and I think that was that was the game. But along the way, a number of mistakes, and it's unfortunate to be kind of saying the same story two years in a row where the team was right there, but— uh, didn't have their best game and kind of hurt themselves. A little, I mean, full credit to, to Montreal. Uh, who's that DB who had the interception there? I mean, he had a great uh, a great game, and but the play were tipping it uh, on the pass to Waltarski was huge as well. Yeah, the, um, listen, the Montreal defense came up huge and made some big plays when they needed it, yeah, and that Anto. was that was the backbone of their team. Um, and listen, there were a bunch of moments in the game that the Bombers had the opportunity, in my opinion, to really sort of put it away. Uh, I mean, the first quarter, I mean, they're up 10 nothing. It's exactly where they wanted to be. Brady Oliveira, I know there's a lot of talk about the offensive line, and listen, the pass protection wasn't good enough. But they established the run. And Brady Oliveira had, what, 119 yards on 19 carries, and I think he was probably quite angered to be honest that he wasn't able to get more um more touches because that's exactly what had been uh, what had been so successful for them um but again we'll we'll jump into it with uh, with, with John Hodge in just a minute um Jeff Hamilton's going to come up later on we'll play for you the uh, post game as well as Zach Caleros and Mike O'Shea in case you haven't heard it I have, imagine most people after the game didn't want to <laughs> they weren't too fired up to hear much post game coverage of what happened to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But um, as, as I said, there were those opportunities for the Bombers to put them away. And I think while we say that, you know, the offense could have done more, listen, the defense could have absolutely done more. And 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 I, what is what is so stunning, if you think about the emotional boost and how crushing it was at the end of the first half for the Bombers to stand up and have that goal line stand, and then for Montreal to come out of the locker room and basically go all the way down in less than two minutes for a touchdown, um, they were not going to quit, and they didn't quit. It was a 60-minute game, and by the end of 60 minutes, they were uh, they were the better team, and they are Grey Cup champions. So, um, listen, we're going to bring in John Hodge. at had a great time seeing John. He and the guys did a great job covering the game at Three Down Nation. But don't worry. We will be talking Jets today, and thank God they had a nice weekend with wins on Friday and Saturday. Uh, Jamie Thomas is going to join us a little later on, and Jeff Hamilton as well. Um, gang, uh, we want to thank everyone. We did see some nice Movember donations. We'll get to those later on in the weekend. Uh, but for everyone that is supporting our uh, Movember program, can't thank you enough. And, of course, special shout-out to the guys that uh, are making up the WST team. And, of course, Modern Man, a big part of that. There's a link in the description if you want to make a, a, a donation. And, uh, of course, our friends at Modern Man helping that out. They got eight locations. Everything you need, guys. Haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Book your look via modernmanbarber.com and uh, <laughs> make an appointment. And, uh, when you need to get a cut, of course, our friends at Aquatech as well. 
um, you know, great sponsors of Winnipeg Sports Talk, and now just dealing with so many home renovations because home renos start with Aquatech. With thousands of renos as their foundation, Aquatech can upgrade any space in your home. If you're ready to enhance your kitchen, your bathroom, or even add a man cave to your home, visit aqua-tech.ca to learn more about their whole home renovations, including financing options. There was a few times last night I think the Bombers could have used a a, a bit of a battery change. Um, if you need a battery change heading into the winter, you know where to do it. Shop local, get the best price in town with our friends at Manitoba Battery. They'll beat the pants off the big box stores and your car and truck battery. And better yet, they'll deliver it to you for free anywhere in the city of Winnipeg with any purchase over 60 bucks. It is just that easy. Get on down to manitobabattery.com or give them a call at 783-8787 to um, uh, make arrangements to, uh, to get your battery and get ready for winter, even though it doesn't seem like winter right now in Winnipeg. And again, if you do want a free battery test and uh, to see them in store, pop by and see them at 1026 Logan Avenue. And I guess a final cheers of the regular season uh, to our friends at Canadian Club, the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, fueling plenty of Grey Cup parties and plenty of good times at the Rum Hut all year. Uh, Bomber fans will be back doing it again next year at the park but in the meantime get ready for the holidays with canadian club pop by your local manitoba liquor marts for all of canada's finest uh, finest canadian whiskey uh and don't forget cc and ginger also available at your local beer store and uh, hey great cup weekend holidays always please remember to enjoy responsibly all right jamie thomas coming up later on we'll kind of finish with the good news and some positive vibes heading into the rest of the show but uh, we got to break this down this season and where the winnipeg blue bombers go from here as an organization because one thing i think we can be sure we're going to see more turnover player turnover on this team than we have in well really realistically this entire era of the o'shea and walters uh, team and uh speaking of teams three down nation killed it all weekend long and uh John Hodge, I think, was also on an early bird and is back in Manitoba right now with that beautiful Grey Cup. What do we call those? Winter hats? Is there is there a name for these? I don't know. I just say it looks good. It certainly does. It's rugged with the beard. I mean, you're definitely ready for winter. Um, <laughs> although I don't know if Bomber fans are ready to kind of get into the offseason like this. We'll kind of dive into the game overall and the big questions around the Bombers, uh, but... Um, John, take us through that final three minutes. I mean, uh, how did you see things go down and what was your reaction to the incredible heroics of Montreal Alouettes quarterback Cody Fajardo, who um, had been tormented by this team and this defense for his entire career and finally got over the hump in spectacular fashion? He did. I mean, it wasn't something that I saw coming. I will be fully honest. My confidence in Cody Fajardo, I don't think, was ever lower then after what we saw from him in the East final, the East final, the, I mean, I mean, Montreal's offense never does a whole heck of a lot and they're not asked to, right. They're essentially asked to be conservative, hold on to the football, not make mistakes and let their team win on defense and special teams. It's, it's not dissimilar, frankly, to the 2019 Winnipeg blue bombers that did exactly that on route to a great cup title in uh you know in in that season 
This year, however, the Alouettes were able to put together a good performance on offense when it mattered most. Cody Fajardo comes out. Two minutes left in the game. By the way, should be noted, the Bombers 2-0. That killed them there, right? Brady Oliveira stuffed on first down. Zach Kolaris takes a sack on second down. I was shocked with how much time the Alouettes let run off the clock. They were they were letting 15, 18, sometimes 20 seconds run off the clock between snaps. And sure enough, it ended up benefiting them as Tyson Philpott scored the game-winning touchdown with 11 seconds left. So kudos to Cody. He silenced his haters. I asked him straight up after the game in the press conference that was streamed by the CFL on their YouTube page, if you want to check it out. I said, Cody, how does it feel to prove the haters wrong? So many people said you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You weren't capable of doing it. And he took the high road. So I I give him credit. He essentially said, look, everybody texts you when things are going well. You find out how small your circle is when things are tough. And between last year in Saskatchewan, some down moments he had this year in La Belle Provence, he found out exactly who really matters. And those are the people who stuck with him when times got tough. So kudos to Cody. He obviously changed the narrative. About well, him in 2023. And, and you know what? Listen, I mean, I don't know. I I, I know you were being, you know, it was just sort of what you're saying, referring to haters. Like, I don't think there's many haters of Cody Fajardo. I mean, he is one of the most likable guys. But everybody, for the most part, was a doubter. And why wouldn't you be? I mean, this team had owned Cody Fajardo. Zach Caleros had owned Cody Fajardo. I mean, there wasn't a lot of evidence to say, this guy's about to do this in the big game. I mean, in fact, there was none. Um, but that's what makes great sports stories. And unfortunately, it was at the expense of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So Cody oh, is the guy. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and he, like the, the stat line I actually think looks, looks worse than, than what was really there. He threw three touchdowns, one pick. But the pick was on a 50-yard bomb into the wind. Kudos to Evan Holm for making a great interception. But that was a net 50-yard play. For Montreal on second down. So really, like, well, like think about what happened after that. The Bombers did nothing with the ball. Nothing. Punted it, and Montreal started it on the 28. I mean, it well, was essentially Zima a punt. Was number one all season in net punting. He was atrocious yesterday. Two shanked punts. He was miserable. <laughs> so even Cody's pick, again, it looks bad on the box score, but it was actually in, a, in an odd way, almost a positive play for the Alouettes because they buried. Winnipeg deep against the wind, which is hard to do. Um, you know, well, I, I think we'll really focus in on the defense in a minute. But as far as the offense, I mean, Brady Oliveira was running. I thought the offensive line was great blo- uh, blocking the – establishing the run. Um, I don't think they did as good of a job protecting Zach Caleros. Obviously, he was sacked four times. Um, all that being said, what was your thoughts on uh, Zach's great cup performance overall? Well, I asked Mike O'Shea about it after the game, and his assessment was was very clear. He simply and succinctly said, Zach Kolaris is the best quarterback in the CFL, period. And then waited for the next question, which is fine. And it's cool that that O'Shea has that much confidence, of course, in his, in his quarterback. And Zach Kolaris, I do think you can still make an argument, is the best quarterback in the CFL. I think any given day between him, Vernon Adams Jr., and Chad Kelly, you're, 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 you're getting one of those three. But... We also need to call a spade a spade. I mean, uh, Zach Kolaris is the highest paid player in the CFL, and he was not sharp enough last night. The pick in the back of the end zone was inexcusable, right? Uh, uh, Zach said after the game 
that he should have handed it off to Brady Oliveira on that play. That was an RPO run pass option. He had the option to hand it off. He didn't. He then had Nick Dembski wide open on an outlet route, you know, a couple yards shy of the goal line. Dembski probably scores there. That's not where Zach goes. He goes to the back of the end zone, which is fine if you put a lot of juice on the ball. It's first down. An incompletion doesn't really hurt you. You get the chance to go for it again on second, and then you kick the field goal. That's not what Zach did. He did the one thing he couldn't do with that ball. He underthrew it, gave KB on Ento a shot at a pick there, which, of course, he made. KB on Ento, rookie corner, outstanding game for the Alouettes on the CFL's biggest stage. So, Zach, I mean, was not good enough, and this is something that, unfortunately, I think has fairly become a narrative about Zach. I went and looked at the numbers today. In the six playoff games that Winnipeg has played since the COVID-canceled season in 2020, Zach has four touchdowns and eight interceptions. I mean, a a one-to-two touchdown-interception ratio is bad for unproven rookies, much less franchise guys who are likely future Hall of Famers. And I do think that Zach is a future Hall of Famer. He's done a ton of great things in this league. I think there's still good football ahead of him. But I think that, you know, after after a a bit of a shaky uh, Grey Cup performance in 2021, you shrug – after a shaky Grey Cup performance in 2022, you kind of raise your eyebrow. I think after the one yesterday, it's fair to start asking questions about what Zach needs to do to be more effective in November. Um, that you mentioned the pick um, on the on the on the throw to Lawler. Terrible. Uh, it, it was, and I mean that was. If we're kind of breaking down, doing an autopsy of this game, to me that was one of, if not. Uh, Obviously, the final three minutes of the game is the three minutes of the game. It's on the line. But if you back it up earlier from an offensive uh, standpoint, that to me, coming off that incredible catch by Kenny Lawler to give them at minimum three if they don't get it in, to me, that was maybe the biggest play in the game, from certainly from a Montreal defensive standpoint, and it gave them the life they needed to keep on pushing. Well, the Alouette's defense, I mean, deserves a ton of credit. I, I ran the numbers this morning. And between the four quarterbacks they faced in the playoffs, Matthew Schiltz, Ole by Mitchell, Chad Kelly, and Zach Kolaris. I mean, say what you will about the Ticats guys, but Kelly and Kolaris, I think the top two quarterbacks in the CFL. Again, VA is right there with them in BC. But the Alouettes allowed one touchdown pass and had seven picks on those four p- uh, pivots combined which is just unbelievable. I mean, this unit got better as the season went on. They got better when they added Sean Lemon midseason. They got even better when they added Darnell Sankey in the middle. Noel Thorpe, I had a lengthy conversation with him on media day. He talked about how he preaches rallying to the football, making sure that his guys are there to force those takeaways. They got a fumble off Brady yesterday. They also picked off Zach. And I think you're right. To me, that was the biggest play of the game, certainly outside of the Tyson Philpott touchdown that clinched it for the Alouettes. Because of it, it was really an unforced error, right? It was first down. You could just throw the ball away. If you don't want to throw the ball away, hit Dembski or, or hand it off to Brady, as Zach himself admitted he should have done. And if you're going to throw it up to, to Kenny, make make what I like, like curlers talk about this. What, what is the pro side miss? In other words, if I'm going to miss this throw, is it better to miss it long or short? The answer 100% of the time is, is you have to miss it long. Give Kenny a chance to make a circus catch. Because he's made a lot of those this season. He didn't do that. And and something else, Huss, if you look back at the playlist on CFL.ca, that was the last pass 
that Zach Kolaris attempted to Kenny Lawler in the game. He never looked back at him in the last 22 minutes of the contest, which is a huge mistake. Kolaris revealed post-game, Rashid Bailey's played the last six weeks with a grade two torn hamstring. You've had Nick Dembski fighting through injury. Dalton Schoen arguably shouldn't have even been playing. So you've got all these weapons banged up. Kenny Lawler's your best guy. He's your only really healthy guy. And you don't look at him for the last 20 plus minutes. Like that just seems like such a misstep from the two-time MOP quarterback in Winnipeg. Well, and, and listen, I, I could live with that if they just kept on giving it to Brady Oliveira and he was going for eight yards every single time he touched the ball and they continued to move the chains and do what they've done so many times this year. I mean, I'll be honest, when the Bombers got the ball back with the lead in with what four minutes left in the game, I'm like, hey, we've seen this. We know we know how this goes. Yep. First down, first down, victory formation, confetti, champagne, go from there. Um, and they didn't. Uh well, they didn't get the yardage on the first one and then obviously turn the ball over there. You mentioned Dalton Schoen, and this actually will be a good kind of segue into the bomber defensive performance. Um, we talked all week about how it was incredibly unlikely that we'd see Big Hill or Schoen in the game. They didn't practice. They weren't even at the walkthrough uh, on Saturday morning. And yet late Saturday night, I talked to someone that was at the stadium later on in the day for another event, not associated with the Bombers. And they said, I'm pretty sure that Big Hill and Schoen were out on this on the field like far after everyone in the media were all gone, getting out there and running. Um, what was your reaction when you saw that tweet from Darren Cameron that those guys were in and looking back at their performance, was it a smart move to have those players in? My first thought was, oh, you crafty, crafty dog. That is what Mike O'Shea loves to do. Mike O'Shea perceives ruling out players as borderline disrespect to them. He seems to be of the belief that even if a guy has an arm chopped off, you should still give him the chance to play. And in some way, that's admirable. And it's really cool that he trusts his players that much. On the other hand, there is a point at which you have limiting returns. And I'll say this about Biggie. Biggie is is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's certainly one of the best linebackers in CFL history. You can make the case he's one of the best defensive players in CFL history. He's also a super smart guy, a super nice guy, great to work with as a member of the media. But let's, let's be honest here. He's 35 years old and reportedly had a calf tear. At what point is a 35-year-old with a torn calf not as good as just the next man up who is healthy and fresh and doesn't have the wear and tear of 19 games, right, between the regular season and the West final? Like like a lot of the players who stepped up for the Alouettes, you know, James Letcher Jr. had a nice return. Tyson Philpott, you know, he made the game-winning catch. A lot of these guys missed time early in the season, which helped them be fresh, for the most important parts of the game. I just mentioned Sean Lemon, mid-season pickup. Darnell Sankey, mid-season pickup. Like, like the Alouettes succeeded in part. KB Anento started the year on their practice roster because they were peaking. One of the ways that you peak at the end of the year is you stay fresh instead of touting out the same. 
wily aging veterans who we all know are on the back nine of their careers. And so it should be noted, O'Shea did say, in hindsight, he wouldn't have done anything differently. He still would have played Sean, still would have played Biggie. I talked to Sean after the game. He declined to indicate what the injury was. He also declined to offer a percentage as to how healthy he was. He didn't say, you know, 80%, 90%. All he said is that he wasn't fully healthy and at his best. Uh, and I thought that was pretty clear. He didn't play a lot of the first downs. Damian Jackson came in as the American fullback, an extra blocker. And I, I do think that the depth on this team, especially in the receiving core, is something that held them back yesterday, right? Ravi Alston, the only American receiver this club has who's who's a young guy, played one game in the regular season, didn't get any targets. They signed Marquise Ambles. They didn't dress him once. So – to me, having some better depth, having some more young guys, which I know can be tough when you have such a veteran-laden team like Mike O'Shea likes, but that is, I think, a sign that this team needs to start getting a little bit younger, embrace a little bit more of a, a youth movement, because that can help you be better come the end of the year. Well, and, and I think we'll, uh, we'll we'll touch on that in a minute, just how different this team will likely look when uh, training camp gets going on next year. Um but Big Hill was out there, obviously, you know, was a, a lot of people were talking about where he was on one particular touchdown. But overall, this defense, which has been the backbone of this championship era of Bomber football, um, I thought was not near the level that we've come accustomed to on many occasions last night. And, you know, they had a 10-point lead early. And then Montreal comes down with that, like, some Big, big chunk plays, and obviously the big run by Stanback, it's 10-7, it's game on. After the goal line stand, a, a, a play and a series of plays that would that would have finished a lot of teams. I mean, the emotional um, effect of that going into halftime, um, you know, I think a lot of people thought that they were done at that point. But they get the ball and just run right down the field and put it in for six, and all of a sudden it's a three-point game with, you know, not even two minutes gone in the second half. And then obviously the drive at the end of the game. I mean, overall, what was, what, how would you rate the Bomber defensive performance and what was missing from, you know, that group that, you know, has probably spoiled Bomber fans over the better part of the last four years? Yeah, I talked to multiple people in the press box at Tim Hortons Field who said, yeah, this game's done at halftime. They're like, it's done. I was like, really? It's done? They said, yeah, it's done. Like, like, like 10 point deficit. This, this LOS team isn't explosive enough. They're not going to come back. Admittedly, I, I, I certainly thought the Bombers could win. I picked them to win by 20 points, but I didn't think the game was done at halftime. But obviously, the Alouettes didn't think so either. Defensively, I, I don't know if this is a hot take. I thought the secondary was actually good. Like, Evan Holmes' interception was amazing. I thought Dietrich Nichols. Played Austin Mack extremely well. Yes, Mack made a couple of amazing catches, but at a certain point when guys are making plays at that level, there's not much you can really do as a defensive player. Like It's possibly to play perfectly and still lose a rep when a guy makes just a ridiculous play, as Austin Mack did a couple of times in the game. Uh, I thought Winnipeg's speed at linebacker got exposed a little bit. And the other thing I'll say is I thought that their pass rush was unimpressive relative to what we've come uh, to expect from that unit over the last few years. Willie Jefferson had a great sack. There was another play on Montreal's last drive, which looked like a potential game sealer 
when Jackson Jeffcoat and Shane Goche just converged on the quarterback and Cody Fajardo was sacked, setting up second and 18. But other than those two plays, I thought Fajardo had a lot of time to survey in the pocket. He had a chance to step into his throws. And that was shocking given the fact that the Alouettes gave up nine sacks in the East final. You never would have known how bad their protection issues were a week ago. And, and Fajardo in his postgame avail credited his offensive line. I, th- I believe he even went as far as to say it was the best game his O-line had played all season because suddenly uh, a very vaunted uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers front seven, which sacked Vernon Adams Jr., I believe it was nine times last week, all of a sudden wasn't able to get to Cody Fajardo consistently. And I think that was that had a huge impact on the game because if you take away Fajardo's time to operate, he's not going to get the chance to put up some of those long developing throws that he needed in order to win. John Bolivai Mitchell on the post game um, sort of called out Richie Hall for um, the uh, defenses that were called there on that final drive. Um, how did you see the way the Bombers, you know, approached the defining moments of the football game? I mean, Bo knows the X's and O's a lot better than I do. I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna suggest that he's right or wrong. Um, what I will say from a scheme standpoint, I don't have a problem with calling cover zero in the red zone. Yeah, you're putting pressure on your DBs to make good plays, but Demario Houston came an inch away from knocking that game-winning touchdown pass away. Just when you call cover zero, you've got to you've got to get to the passer. The Bombers did not do that consistently enough for one reason or another, right? Jackson Jeffcoat, for instance, was was not noticeable until the last drive of the game. Uh, Willie Jefferson had a great play to start things off relatively early on and then was quiet in the second half. And that's something that we did not see in the West final when that whole line, especially Willie J, were absolute game wreckers. So I don't think the execution was there. If you want to criticize the play calling, I think that's fine. But I also think that Richie Hall, you know, for all of his detractors, I, I get, you know, Heck, the uh, the opponent can convert an eight-yard pass, and I have people tweeting me that Richie Hall's defense is soft and it's terrible. Well, Winnipeg led the CFL in pass knockdowns this year. You don't lead the CFL in pass knockdowns if your coverage is all soft zone and your defensive backs aren't interested in, in, in mixing it up with different receivers. But um, And Richie Hall, by the way, should be in the Hall of Fame. I'll, I'll bang the table for that. But I think the execution was lacking. Um, ultimately, they, they needed a stop, and they couldn't get one. Uh, and you, you mentioned it, Huss. The Alouettes did, forcing a two and out in the late stages from Winnipeg. And, and you know, you, you can't boil a game down to just two drives. But if you could, that'd be the difference. I, I mean, the Bombers were one play away from completely sealing it on uh, that third and five. Um, big, big stones to throw it 30 yards for a game that completely changed the scenario and situation. How did you see that? Well, I actually thought, you know, again, I've sung Cody Fajardo's praises here, so I'll be honest. I thought the throw was terrible. Like, that was a touchdown. I I believe it was Cole Speaker was the receiver on that play. And Cody Fajardo told my colleague Justin Dunk after the game that Jamal Parker was the guy in the secondary they were going to go after. He didn't know his name, but he said number seven. We're going after number seven. 
And sure enough, Jamal Parker got beat badly on that play. The receiver had several steps behind coverage. The only reason he didn't score on that play was because Fajardo badly underthrew the ball. He did face a little bit of pressure on that play, but he did have a, a chance to step into it. And if he puts it out just a little bit further, I, I think the Alouettes score there for a touchdown. Uh, the play I'll highlight is the one right before it, too. You want to know a play that reminded me of Huss, second and 18, Fajardo takes off for 13 yards. It reminded me of the Chad Kelly scramble last oh. season. Chad <laughs> Kelly got a first down, Fajardo didn't. I know I'm bringing up terrible memories for Bomber fans. Sorry, guys. But that's what I was thinking about. He didn't get the first down. They stopped him for third and five. But it's a heck of a lot easier to convert third and five than it is third and 18. And that was what I was thinking about at that moment. I went, oh, my goodness, this looks like the Chad Kelly scramble. That could pose bad news for Bomber fans. And, of course, it did. John Hodges with us from Three Down Nation, breaking down the uh, Bombers lost 28-24 in the 110th Grey Cup yesterday in Hamilton. So, John, um, I mean, let's just put your uh, – you can take the uh, the winter hat off and put the Swami hat on. How many blue bombers, like key bombers that we've come to know that have been mainstays here, how many of them do you think may have played their last game yesterday for Winnipeg? Well, something that I put in my post-game column that I was surprised to see when I first got to the locker room was basically the locker room opened to the media and there was like a flash and gone – and I realized as he was walking by me, it was it was Stanley Bryant in his street clothes. Um, obviously, was not wanting to talk to the media and answer questions about his future. I remember asking him about his future. He, he had last year's Great Cup, right? I mean, he's thirty-seven, and it, he's one of the best, if not the best, offensive lineman ever to play in this league. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I have all the respect in the world for Stanley Bryant, but he's usually after games holding court with the rest of the offensive linemen having a blast. He was obviously not in a position to talk to anybody yesterday. I don't think it's fair to look at that and assume that it was his last game, but the behavior didn't look like somebody who was ready to come back and, and battle back and try to win another one in 2024. He was obviously again, not happy and not in a, in a position to, to talk to the media. Uh, and, and for the record, a lot of players hadn't even taken off their pads yet. And he'd obviously done a full change, put on the street clothes and and bounce. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Brian's last game, just given his age, given that he wasn't quite as strong as he was last year, but he is still a good left tackle, even at his age, even with his level of experience. And left tackles are not easy to find. The club's had Drew Richmond on the PR for the last couple of years. Maybe it's time to pass the torch, but you know, the, I, I think the club would come under a lot of criticism if they let Bryant walk or they ask him to retire and then they struggle at that spot next year. Right. I mean, Stanley Bryant has been a stalwart at that position for almost a decade with this team. He's going to be in the ring of honor. He's going to be in the club's hall of fame, the Canadian football hall of fame, easier to replace him than, than or harder to replace them than it is to just say you'll, you'll replace him. Um, as for other guys, I mean, Adam Big Hill is under contract for next season, but you have to wonder how he comes back from the calf tear if it was his last game, uh, kudos to, to Biggie. I already sung his praises here. Um, he's had an amazing career. Uh, somebody else I'll point to, he didn't see the field yesterday, but how about Drew Brown? I mean, Drew Brown, I think, is going to be uh, possibly the most popular 
uh, girl to dance, so to speak, come free agent time. I could even see a team potentially trading for his rights in order to exclusively negotiate with him. I have received questions online from Bomber fans saying, hey, do you think there's a chance the Bombers trade Kolaris and make Drew Brown the guy? (laughs) I would suggest that Mike O'Shea is not wired that way, even if that is what was truly in the best interest of the club. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Drew Brown will be will be elsewhere, potentially as a day one starter in the CFL in 2024. So those are three guys I'll point to. But I'll say this as again, one of the reasons this this loss was so heartbreaking for this team. Brady Oliveira said it. Zach Kalara said it is this team is never the same right year after year. There's always guys who move on and the Bombers are in a position right now where I think they are a little bit too long in the tooth. They do need to change this roster over and they need to embrace that opportunity. So I do think that this club will look quite a bit different, not, not completely different, but I do think it will look quite different in 2024. John, one of the things you touched on after the game was the, the mood around the blue bombers. And um, you know, we, we walked out from the exit to where our shuttle was. It was right beside where the bomber team was. And you know, we saw a few guys, you know, talking with family and friends beforehand, but it was pretty quiet, as you would imagine. Um, but you described last year's Grey Cup as sort of a shock team, this year as an angry team. Can you expand on that a little bit as to what you saw when uh, you went in into the losing locker room? Yeah, this is just my perception, but remembering last year, it was dead quiet. Like, like you could hear a pin drop. It, it, the, the atmosphere I would describe as funeral-like at Mosaic Stadium, it was as if the players were in shock. It was as if they'd never even like, like, like given thought to the concept that they would lose that game to the Toronto Argonauts last year. Obviously players were upset, but it was like guys were hugging. It, 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 it was a shocking experience for that team. I didn't see hugging yesterday. I saw anger. Uh, I didn't see any players yell but you could hear from the shower room or next door there were guys upset and yelling not at each other but just you know yelling in frustration as as we all have hell we've we've all put ikea furniture together at some point in our lives and (laughs) and yelled and thrown something across the room that was the type of behavior i was hearing and i think the reason why it was different is because they know how much this is going to suck for the next six months like they know how much sitting with this feeling Um, I I talked to Jermarcus Hardrick about it on media day. He talked about it like a grieving period, like a mourning period. And it lasted not days, not even weeks. It lasted well over a month before he said Stanley Bryant got in the O-line group chat and said, hey, are we coming back? Because if we're coming back, we're not coming back for the money. We're not coming back for anything except for another Grey Cup because we missed out on this one and we need to get another one because we can. And this team, I think, knows. Again, this is just my perception of what I witnessed, but – the atmosphere was different. Obviously, both rooms were very sad, but last season it was sadness and shock. This year it felt like sadness and anger because I think they realized that each year that that window for them to win Grey Cup championships in this window just becomes a little bit harder, right? The window closes just a little bit more and they, they've missed another opportunity. Um, folks, get on over to Three Down Nation. John's got a great piece. Uh, Bombers denied dynasty and Grey Cup loss to Montreal and 13 other thoughts. It is a must read if you want to put a bow on uh, the Grey Cup and and move forward. Um, John, I will say this, and I kind of said at the start, um, 
obviously the way the weekend ended for Blue Bomber fans really sucked. The weekend overall, though, I thought was amazing. Hamilton was a great host. The spirit of the CFL was alive and well. Just wondering about your overall Grey Cup experience, minus the, uh, from a Winnipeg perspective, uh, the end of an absolute Grey Cup classic, which the CFL always seems to deliver. Yeah, I, I admittedly am not a Grey Cup veteran. This was still only my second Grey Cup being there for the entire week and all of the events. So my frame of reference is not huge. But that being said, I, I thought it was a fantastic event. Kudos to the CFL comm staff who are extremely helpful with the media. Guys like Lucas Barrett, OP, uh, everybody involved with that. The volunteers did an amazing job. I know there was some controversy about a lack of French language uh, signage at the field, which was partially rectified with some LCF logos on the field. But other than that, I thought the week went essentially off without a hitch. I thought Green Day was one of the best halftime performances in Grey Cup history. I thought that the game itself was entertaining from start to finish. Right, Last year's Grey Cup, everybody talks about the ending. The first three quarters, let's call a spade a spade. The first three quarters of that game stunk last year. That was a slog. It was awful. And last night, I thought, was a good showcase of our fantastic three-down game all the way through. The crowd is amazing. That was another issue in Regina. Of course, the weather was bad because it's the prairies in in late November. But a lot of fans in Regina stayed home last year, right? I would say the stadium was maybe 60% full. The tickets were sold, but people in Regina didn't want to watch the Winnipeg or Andrew Harris win a gray cup. And that wasn't the case at Tim Hortons field. The stadium was sold out close to 30,000 with the expanded seating that was added. And it, it truly did feel like a national celebration. And I'll say one more thing to sad bomber fans who maybe need a little bit of encouragement today. Just remember losing in a gray cup sucks, but remember Joe Mack, like remember what this city was like a while ago, like, like frame of reference. This is still one of the best eras ever for this team four straight great cups is still amazing even with a couple losses and would you be would you be shocked to us if this team went back in 24 i i wouldn't be no uh no but i think the like put it this way when a cool bet in the books open up odds for next year's cfl season i'm not sure the bombers are the favorite that they've been for the last number of years and with the trajectory, the BC Lions kind of like the BC Lions right now remind me of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers through 16, 17, 18, or maybe 17, 18, 19. Obviously, the Bombers won in 19 and BC didn't win this year, but they seem to have all the momentum they're hosting next year. Um, it, if the Bombers win the West again next year, and I know like people can describe whatever they want about the dynasty, and I think we all thought that you know, a third Grey Cup would put a stamp on it and it would be indisputable. If the Bombers can get to that big, the big dance and represent the West again next year, it will be truly incredible. I mean, that is something that has not happened in almost 50 years. Already doing it four times in a row in almost 50 years. Um, but again, missed opportunities to put that put that Winnipeg Blue Bomber name up amongst the greatest eras of any team in any era in Canadian Football League history. And uh, that one's going to sting, but um, there's still, this is a very, very well-run team with a well, great coaching staff, great management and great players. And no matter how different it is, I, I'm with you. I mean, I sure as hell wouldn't rule them out. 
Well, and I am on the record as already picking BC to represent the West Division next year. Obviously, that's a super early prediction. But which team going into this season was ninth in the odds to win the Great Cup? The answer is the Montreal Alouettes. You're right. <laughs> so at the end of the day, it is what it is, right? This team, obviously, they need a GM for next year. They need to get that figured out in a hurry. But... You know, like I, I, I talked to somebody after the game, a, me- a fellow member of the media, a national member of the media, who said this window is closed. Like this team is done. This, this window is over. They're, they're all over. And I looked up and I said, really? So the Alouettes didn't have an owner or a quarterback nine months ago. And they're currently on the field with the Grey Cup. Like, let's, <laughs> let's have some perspective. I know the season just ended. I know fans are heartbroken. But this window's not closed. Did it close a little bit? Yeah. Is it closed? Not even close. John, uh, listen, just on the way out, congratulations to you, Dunk, the entire team at Three Down Nation. Um, for CFL fans, it is must-read stuff day in, day out, week in, week out throughout the season. And uh, listen, we're already on to the offseason. I'm sure there'll be a lot of interesting stuff that we'll be seeing there all the time. But thank you very much for the time. It was great to see you out there. And uh, congrats on a great season for you and the team. Thanks, Huss. Appreciate it. Now I'm going to go sleep for about 20 hours. Dude, tell me about it. Tell <laughs> me about it. I still can't believe we made it and we're on the air today. But that's uh, what the Great Cup is all about. You got to power through, as they say. Um, have a good one, man. Thanks again for doing this. Cheers. Thanks, boys. Good stuff. There is, uh, there's John Hodge from Three Down Nation. Uh, joining us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right, we're going to hear from uh, Zach Caleros and Mike O'Shea. Jeff Hamilton's going to join us in a minute. Um, and we will talk Jets coming up. And I can't wait for that conversation with Jamie Thomas. What a weekend for uh, the Jets with wins back-to-back Friday and Saturday night. Um, and now tied with Colorado, hitting the road this afternoon as we speak, probably up in the air. Um, so we will get to that. And folks, Black Friday is coming up. And the Jets, uh, I know many of you kind of thinking about, hey, I should get out to some games. I want to get out to some games. Maybe get a package. Keep your eyes out for some great Black, Black, Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals coming up for the Jets over the course of the next week. One other thing you're going to want to do, and if you're listening on the podcast or with us in YouTube right now, get on over to winnipegsportstalk.com slash contest and enter to qualify and win a marble for our big November 30th end of Men's Health Month extravaganza with Vita Health because we're giving away this beautiful Trevor Linden autographed jersey. You can see that certificate of authenticity right there as well as the uh, the full line of Prairie Natural Supplements, Canada's number one men's health brand. Um, Vita Health is where you... Go 12 months a year for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries, but even more so right now with Men's Health Month. Um, Important to take care of yourselves, guys. See the doctor. Do those sort of things that can help you get through this winter. And obviously, Prairie Natural is a great place to start helping things like uh, prostate health, andropause, low libido, testosterone, stress, male energy, and performance. They're on sale all month at Vita Health, six locations in Winnipeg, Online at myvita.ca, you can order as well as there. But get in, we'll uh, fill you in on, uh, actually we'll get Remus to maybe grab uh, three more qualifiers and we'll mention those later on today on the program. A big thanks to our friends at Wallace & Wallace, the fencing and overhead door specialists in Winnipeg since 1946. 
Your overhead garage door had lots of ups and downs this summer, working hard to get you and your family from all that summer fun in the fall. Guess what? Winter's here. It doesn't seem like it right now, but it is, in fact. And winter's putting much more stress on your garage door. The right time to prevent downtime this winter is now. Call Wallace & Wallace to book your inspection and maintenance service call today. For residential and commercial overhead door sales and service, there's only one name or two you need to know. And that is Wallace and Wallace. And hey, big day today down at F Apparel. Speaking of Black Friday, the uh, the Black Friday sale is starting today. Why wait? Um, you know that F Apparel is the go-to spot for men's uh, the best in men's uh, clothing here in Winnipeg. And you're never going to see better deals than right now for the Black Friday sale in store and online. Suits as low as 350 bucks, shirts starting at $50, ties from $15, and lots of, tons of great deals to be had. Um, the best way to go about it, get ready for the holidays too while you're at it. Check out gift cards if you want to uh, maybe drop something nice in the stocking of someone that you think maybe could up their menswear game. Um, visit the website uh, at F, that's ephapparel.com. And uh, make an appointment to pop down, see the fellas in store, take advantage of all those great deals this week. Again, 190 Smith Street downtown, and it's F-E-P-H-Apparel.com. All right, we'll uh, have uh, some comments from Zach Caleros and Mike O'Shea in a little bit. And we will talk Jets with Jamie Thomas coming off that big weekend at Hetton on the Road. But... Uh, Listen, one of our, maybe our, our best contributor when it comes to bomber coverage all year long, killing it every day in the Winnipeg Free Press, and a great friend of myself and Michael was great a chance to, great to catch up with him all week long. Again, uh, popped in for a very special Saturday show, which we don't normally do, which got uh, tons of views and great feedback as well. We couldn't put a bow on this Grey Cup and Grey Cup season without bringing in the hammer, Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press, who uh, I believe very intelligently had a much later flight than we did today uh, and joins us. Are you at the airport yet or uh, where, uh, where where yeah. do we find you right now? Yeah, I'm at the Pearson Airport well in advance of my flight to accommodate Taylor Allen. I appreciate the kind words, Huss. It makes me feel, makes me feel a lot better than I know I look right now. I feel like I've, uh, I feel like the, the week's gotten the better of me, but uh, what a week it was, man. And Looking forward to uh, hashing it right now. Well, I have uh, just to just to show that the Grey Cup effect is real. I have replaced my signature diet Pepsi. I have already crushed a Tropicana orange juice, and we're now getting into the water. Uh, and I was about to take cough syrup, and then I realized that the last time I did it, uh, it was like I was drinking the scissorp or the lean before getting into the show, and I was borderline hallucinating through doing it. So I will wait until the end of the program to try to get a little bit of that in me but uh you know it was just before we get to the game i mean overall you've done this we kind of talked to this to john and john said he doesn't have a great frame of reference because he's only kind of done the full week twice um i've done it a number of times not as many as you um overall gray cup in the hammer i thought was was awesome with the exception of you know the french stuff which obviously was a little bit embarrassing for the league although it did create maybe the greatest wwe style promo in CFL history from uh, Decoy after the game yesterday. Um, this was a real hit. And, I mean, as someone that loves this league, um, you know, more than just loving the Bombers and being a Winnipeg guy, you want to see it thrive. You want to see it do well. 
the CFL spirit was everywhere. I thought the way that the uh, week, the festivities, the fan fest, the uh, party rooms were put together um, was was a huge hit. I mean, that, before we break down the game and where the Bombers go from here, just thoughts on everything that led up to kickoff yesterday. Yeah, like, you know, as as you mentioned with the, the Saturday show we did, you know, we touched on just how great an event Hamilton um, makes this. And, and that really is what makes the event is, is having, you know, obviously the tiger cats behind it, they're, they're, they're in control of it, but it's the city, it's the entire city, the host city that needs to embrace it. And um, you know, well, this certainly was a great one. I think it started in 21 in Hamilton. You know, I thought they, you know, they didn't get the great cup that they wanted. They still put on a pretty good show. Uh, they offered, you know, it was a really cool experience that time. Us, you know, it was the, it was a COVID year obviously but it was was, the restrictions were starting to be lessened so um it was kind of that first real time to go out and see people so it wasn't as good but it was still pretty cool but yeah this year was they knocked it out of the park i mean everything they did they tried to do you know as good as well as possible they brought in a great musical talent you had like carrie underwood l cool j shaggy you know you you had events every night um you know the fans showed up from all corners of the of the country to celebrate you know anyone who's been to a great cup knows that that's one of the the cooler things is that everyone, you know, everyone gets together to embrace, you know, ultimately a love for, for the three down game. And so this year was certainly no, uh, no exception. And what I, what I think is great about this, this great cup is that it's set the bar for next year, right? Amar Doman is going to want to be up, you know, one up being whatever Hamilton did. And they had the BC lions had their great cup festival committee leader here to watch some of the things that they did. So Vancouver should be even better next season. And then, we all know Wade Miller isn't going to let, you know, let, let Amar Doman, you know, show him up. So 2025 in Winnipeg, I think it's just, uh, it's going to be an exciting, exciting, obviously, week then. So, you know, anyone who hasn't been to a, a great, great, great cup week, I mean, it, it really is cool. It's, it's um, just a whole bunch of fun. I really don't know how else to explain it. But, uh, you know, I think Winnipeg in 2025, you know, we'll be talking about this, Huss, celebrating your years of service at Winnipeg Sports Talk, and we'll be talking. Uh, we'll be talking how great the the Winnipeg one was. But it all we can. I think when we do that, we can look back at 2023 and what the Hamilton Tire Cats were able to achieve. No doubt about it. And a special shout out to the fans in the Hammer. Uh, there were so much. There was so much black and gold in the stadium yesterday. Um, cool. They came out, they had a great time. They showed out. Some of them were going for the Bombers. Some of them were going for the Alouettes. But they, um, I mean, that is what the Canadian Football League is all about. So a a, a big tip of the cap to everyone involved in uh, the Grey Cup Festival and especially Hamilton fans um, for uh, the way they participated despite their team not being uh, being in it. Um, Where... Listen, as far as the game goes, I mean, you kind of nailed it, um, you know, with your lead line in uh, in your piece in the Winnipeg Free Press. From dynasty to devastation, it was right there for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I would argue that on a few occasions, they had the opportunity on maybe kind of running away with that game. Multiple 10-point leads, double digit. Um, a very ugly start to the second half, at which point, at one point, they were down. They come back with a big drive a third and five opportunity where you convert that you're done. Hell before that, even a couple first downs and you probably make it like when you're doing the autopsy of this game, I mean, what stands out as where the bombers let it get away before we talk about the incredible drive offered by uh, authored by Fajardo in the house. Well, yeah, I think, I don't think, well, at least in the press box, I don't think anybody saw what happened at the goal line stand in the, in the first half 
but the Bombers obviously stuffing them with seconds remaining to kneel down and go into the halftime up 10 points and thought that the Bombers were going to lose. You know, I think that was the momentum shift or what people thought was the momentum shift. And of course, let's, you know, let's remember here, um, they led the whole game essentially until they didn't. And then they took it back. Uh, and of course, Cody Fajardo led a, a game winning drive. And, and I think that's, that's what makes it so interesting. It's been two years in a row where the defense hasn't been able to step up and, and, and make that big play at the end. And, you know, you, you mentioned a whole bunch of plays, Huss, but the one that was the absolute killer, I mean, of course you gotta, you got to give Cody Fajardo credit for the third five. You, that was the game. That was, you know, you don't make that, it's over. But for him to scramble like he did, it was, you know, after, after getting sacked by Jackson Jeffcoat, I believe it was Jackson Jeffcoat, um, and then facing a second and long and then taking off, much like we saw Chad Kelly take off in Toronto in 2022, he put himself in a position to get that. And then when he got, when he converted the third and five, it, it was all of a sudden, no, this isn't, this isn't a drive to set the game up. This is a drive to, this is a drive to win. And, you know, there's some performances. I'm not sure John probably touched on it and catch all of the segment, but you know, Demary Houston didn't have a great game. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, and the defense just the defense just couldn't get it done at the end. And to, to see you know Tyson Philpot score that touchdown, I, I think it shocked everybody. And that's certainly what the that's certainly what the mood was in the uh, in the locker room afterward. Where it's just one of pure disbelief, shock. I mean, some guys were you know we were in there what twenty so minutes after the game. Some guys were still coming to grips with the fact they'd even lost. So you know. I, you can look at all these different plays. You can look at the Zach Kolaris interception, and certainly we can look at Zach, Zach's performance throughout the game. You know, it, it wasn't his best. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But um, it comes down to kind of making the plays at, at key times. And at the end there, the Bombers had it, man. I mean, the Bombers could have wrapped this up. They needed to go down the field. You know, it was a Cody Fajardo-led offense that the Bombers' defense had feasted on all season long. And so... Um, for him to do that, I mean, kudos to Fajardo and the Alouettes, but you gotta you gotta finish games out there, and and the Bombers again again for a second straight year just couldn't just couldn't get over the top. You know, um, we talked about Sankey and Lemon kind of coming on throughout. I mean, part of I think the reason why I was so confident was just what we'd seen when these teams played earlier this year. Montreal offense did absolutely nothing against the Bombers in eight quarters this season, hmm. um, but on the, and that's kind of what people focused on. But let's not forget the Bombers coming up, what, a field goal short of a 50-burger in that game here? What, how much better was the Montreal defense by the time they got to the playoffs than when we saw them earlier this season? Yeah, much better. I mean, that was week 12. And, you know, you play 21 weeks in a season. So, you know, it was quite some time the last time they played. And, yeah, 47 points is, is impressive. And certainly you mentioned the defense. They allowed six, six total points. So, um, sorry, the offense. Yeah, the Bombers' defense allowed six total points. Uh, Montreal's offense only scored six, but Montreal's defense scored 14. So in that 47-17 uh, loss, 14 of those 17 points were pick sixes. And so while we can ask the question, did Montreal Alouette's defense get better from that point on? Absolutely. So did the entire team. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting one too. And, you know, Cody Fajardo... Deserves a lot of credit, but he's, you know, maybe this is the conversation change. And I'm definitely one of those guys that needs to eat crow on him. I mean, I've written over and over about how I didn't think he was a quality quarterback, and his stats back that up. His stats 
screamed game manager. They screamed Matt Nichols, essentially. And he did something that no one expected him to do in the second half. And I think what's so special about this team is that they've been counted out all year long. And, and over time, they, they gain that momentum. They, they gain that belief and trust in one another and that confidence that Jason Moss instills in them, much like Mike O'Shea instilled in this team on their 2019 Cup run. We, I think we're seeing a lot of similarities with Montreal. Uh, you know, us against the world. Why not us? You know, I, I think the, the fact that the CFL wasn't, didn't have the, you know, the French signage, well, that was, had nothing to do with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They didn't make that decision. I think they took it out on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, you know, the defense for Montreal was the bread and butter of their team. They got complimentary football when they needed it. And, and, um, and, and that was the difference. But the defense, I mean, that's been, you know, that's been their identity all season long. And, and for them, you know, to step up and, and play the way that they did in that game and to have, you know, Cody lead an offense that hadn't done really that, that all season long and have a special teams that also chipped in, that's, that's exactly what the Montreal Alouettes needed to beat the Blue Bombers. Nobody, like, nobody was hiding from that fact all week long. They said if they were going to beat Winnipeg, that they would have to have contributions from all three phases. They knew they'd face adversity. They knew this wasn't going to be, you know, a, a, you know, a runaway win for them, that, that they were going to have to claw this out. And that's exactly what they did. And, and let's face it, man. I mean, as, as crappy as it is for the Bombers uh, to not get that dynasty. And, you know, I, I wanted that for the fans of Winnipeg. I, you know, I, I wanted that for the team that I've covered for, you know, really full time since, since 2016 to be that team that we talk about in 20 years, but how good they were, you know? But the fact of the matter is, you're not a dynasty if you win back-to-back championships and then lose two in a row. But Montreal's story, everyone talked about that was the story. Montreal is the best single-season turnaround in CFL history, and I'm not even going and checking my homework. I don't know if you can look at a team who had to be taken over by the the league, uh, pretty much put on an allowance, lost their top quarterback in Trevor Harris, lost their top receiver in Geno Lewis, wasn't really allowed to explore the options that they wanted on free agency because they didn't have the deep pockets. They couldn't go out there. And I'm just using Kenny Lawler as an example. I'm not suggesting that that was an option for them, but they couldn't go out and find a Kenny Lawler for $300,000. They couldn't do any of that. They had to work within their budget. And I'll say one more thing about it is that Danny Machocha decided to put all his eggs in Jason Moss's basket because he believed in him. A guy who had been cut loose by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders the previous year as a scapegoat for an, for an absolutely incredibly dysfunctional organization and Cody Fajardo too. And he picked both them up and in one season led his team to glory. I mean, I'll just end it with this because I love to take a parting shot at our friends to the, our friends to the, our friends to the West but the Saskatchewan Rough Riders look even stupider today than they did last year. And that's an incredibly, incredibly amazing feat for them because, man, were they so unimpressive in 2022. So Jeremy O'Day, who's, who's now going to be working towards a first of a three-year extension, gets to look at the two guys that he blamed his entire organization on. And I'm wondering what the reckoning's coming in Saskatchewan uh, for the fact that why is this guy doing what he does? He obviously doesn't know the right football decisions. The issue in Saskatchewan has been culture from the beginning. And then you have the two guys that you thought were the problem, move to a team, get them to fully embrace the province of Quebec, and then lead that province to a great cup in one season. 
it is uh, a, a friend of the show, Ben Kramer, dropped yesterday after the game. The 2023 CFL playoffs were the greatest proof ever that the entire Rough Riders organization should be fired into the sun. Um, 100%. That's and 100%. And Craig maybe, Reynolds included. And, and and listen, maybe, and I'll say and this. And the Board this, of Governors. That's not you. a great thing for the league. Like, you know, I go to this as a CFL guy. Like, the league is better when the Riders are, you know, a healthy team that's filling their stands, that have the passion. And they are, they're perilously close with the decisions that they've made to turning people off to having a half-empty stadium, having people not make the – and think about riders. I mean, you have fans that are coming three and four and five hours for these games. Um, mm. I think there's a big, big part of that community that has really lost faith in Saskatchewan as to where they're at right now. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for the league – it's horrendous uh, it's, for the league. Husk. It makes it this fun is, around Labor look, Day and the Banjo Bowl. surpassed them as the, as, the, as the marquee franchise of the CFL. There's no doubt about it. And that's a kudo not, kudos not just to the players on the field, but to the fans outside. They've showed up. They sell out buildings. They bleed blue and gold. They do what, this, what Saskatchewan used to have. And it's the organization that's completely turned the fan base off them and become the least likable team in the CFL. Not to mention a team that, that should be the flagship organization of the CFL is instead... Like, it should be setting the bar. They should be the ones that are the most accessible. They should be the ones that are most available. They should be the Canada's team, as they like to call themselves. They're so far from that. It's absolutely insane. And I almost think that the Alouettes have moved up to be the, like, you know, maybe the second likable team. Not by attendance, mind you, but certainly as a team that you can, you can look at and, and be proud of. Because I'm not sure there's a lot of people looking around Mosaic Stadium right now proud of what's been going on the last couple of years. And, I mean, there's some big decisions to be made this offseason uh, trying to bring in a guy to, to, to change the culture and bring in players. And, you know, it will be interesting. And I, and I mean, you know, I obviously am being very critical of them right now, but it's not like I don't want them to turn it around. I want every single organization in the CFL to be, be a team that, you know, you want to go to, that, you, that, 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 that that's likable, that, you know, is, is doing things for their fans and not turning them off. And it's just unfortunately the last two years under the guidance of Jeremy O'Day, it's been an absolute embarrassment, and here we are for three years thinking, is this going to change? Well, I guess we're going to have to figure that out in, in time, but um, there's very little to suggest that it will be anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, listen, you can't talk about the Alouettes of 2023 in this championship run without talking about the Riders, but let's bring it back to the Blue Bombers. Um, sure. Another long, painful offseason, but one with far more uncertainty going forward. How different, Jeff, is this team going to look next year? Um, and I mean, how many players might we have seen sort of play their final game in blue and gold, unfortunately, in a crushing Grey Cup loss? Yeah, I think it's going to be a significant change, Huss. I, I, um, I think there's some, there, you know, I'd already heard rumblings. Obviously, I didn't ask who it was going to be. It's not my place to ask who's going to retire or, or get, you know, have it be confirmed. But I think there's a handful of guys that have already made it known to the locker room that they'll be gone again. I don't know those names. I don't really want to speculate on those names. I think we could probably think of a few, you know, the O-line's getting older. There's definitely a, you know, an older core with this team. Uh, and so I think, you know, the potential is, is, is definitely there. I think you're going to, I think there's going to be at least a few, you know, beloved recognizable players on this team that, that decide to hang it up. Um, I guess we're going to figure that out, obviously, in the coming days. I think tomorrow's, 
I don't know if it's, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I imagine garbage bag days tomorrow. So we're going to have a chance to talk to a lot of, a lot of players about, you know, not just the season, but, but more importantly about the future. So we should get more insight into that again uh, tomorrow, but there's also a real potential that the front office gets a massive shakeup. I mean, it, you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways or, or at least one of the, the biggest stories for sure this week was of course, the status of, of general manager, Kyle Walters. And while, you know, people are kind of shocked at the situation and, you know, why hasn't he been, he been re-upped? I mean, he's the, you know, the guy who's, who's in charge of putting this team together and has got, has a roster that's gotten to four straight great cups. Why, why isn't it just an easy signing? Well, it's not an easy signing because there's a, a non-football operations cap. That's just, that's kind of tightening the purse strings of, of, of Wade Miller and, uh, I think we talked about this earlier. I mean, he's going to have to morph into an actuary sometime here and try to find out where how the numbers fit because when you're you're as good as the Bombers are and, and and have been and as good as they have been for a while, everybody you know Kyle Walter said it perfect. Mike O'Shea deserves to be the highest paid head coach in the CFL. Buck Pierce deserves to be the highest paid OC in the CFL. Richie Hall deserves to be the highest defensive coordinator in the CFL, and so on and so forth. And and and. You could make, obviously, the argument that Kyle Walters deserves to be the highest paid uh, general manager. The problem is you can't pay everybody the highest salary. It won't fit under, it won't fit under the, the non-football operations salary cap. And when you, when you factor in that Ted Gavaya and Danny McManus, the team's two assistant general man- managers, also don't have a contract for next season, there might, be, there might need to be some difficult decisions made in that group um, that aren't necessarily based on talent, if you will, but might be based on dollars. Uh, I don't think, you know, I, I'll be careful there. I'm, I don't think the talent necessarily drops if you, if, you know, if you go with a Ted Gavaya against a, a Kyle Walters per se, but, um, you know, it's natural that, a, that a, a assistant general manager would be paid less than a general manager. And if you're Kyle Walters and looking for a raise on top of your general managing um, salary versus, a, you know, say a Ted Gavaya, who's an assistant general manager, that might be the fit. Who knows? But um, it's obviously curious that he doesn't have a deal yet. You know, this whole thing that this is what the Bombers do late in the season, that's absolutely false. That's not what they do. That's what Mike O'Shea does. And Mike O'Shea dictates things that are going to happen there. When he signs an extension at the end of his current deal, Kyle Walters has always wanted that security. He's never gone into it his final season. Um, so we'll see. My my gut tells me Mike O'Shea will be making a lot of decisions as he's the one under contract for the next couple of years. I'm not suggesting he's going to be GM. I don't think Mike O'Shea, while super talented head coach, I don't think he has the abilities to be a GM. He's too loyal. We saw it with Big Hill in the game. Um, he's too loyal to players. He's too loyal to guys. And it's because that's who he was as a player. This is a guy who needed to be forced into retirement. He's a guy who sat up at a, at, a, at a social table that the Toronto Argonauts set up for him as his retirement party. And he sat there and told reporters that he, he didn't even know why he was there, that he wasn't retiring. So, you know, that loyalty has worked incredibly well for Mike O'Shea over the years uh, with, with, his, with his players, with his, with his core leadership group. I just don't think that loyalty translates into general managing duties. So I, I, it's, it's all a roundabout way of saying, Huss, is we're going to be seeing a lot of changes um, losses usually do that. You know, I don't know if we're in the situation to, where the guys are getting together like they were after 2022 and saying, let's, let's put one more season in. I think that was the, well, I know that was the conversation last summer, so I just don't think that that's going to happen again. And we'll, like I said, we'll find out more in the coming days here, but I do think this is going to be a potentially drastically looking, uh, different looking team in 2024. 
Hammer, uh, as always, I mean, it's not like we won't still be uh, doing uh, this and uh, more going forward together, but um, it has been, I mean, another incredible season. I mean, I do have to give credit to everyone involved with the Bombers, you know, the the players, I mean, the staff. Uh, I had someone tell me this morning that 10 a.m. this morning, their phone rang. It was somebody from the Bomber office calling about their season tickets. They renewed them. Um, you know, the, uh, the the show goes on. Um, but it might look a lot different. But um, thank you personally for uh, the amazing contributions to WST and these conversations all year long. Uh, you were definitely a favorite of the chat and uh, always bring it. And um, listen, I, I was obviously, ever you, you all know me. I mean, I was hoping this was going to be a real fun Victory Monday, talking about a great week. Um, but it truly was a great week. It, this has been an amazing era of Blue Bomber football. And Tell you what, I think the way this finished up is going to give uh, our off-season conversations that much more intrigue as opposed to, hey, we'll see a training camp and the band's all back together and let's see if they can do it again. Um, but as John Hodge mentioned, for everyone that's really down in the dumps, just remember where this team was 10 years ago under Joe Mack. Um, it has been incredible. They came up short. Maybe it's not an official dynasty um, but it still is an incredible organization and a great team. And uh, they do have lots to be proud of. And uh, I'll say this, so do Blue Bomber fans. Selling five straight games out is something that, frankly, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to say it's unprecedented. I'm sure the Riders probably did that once they opened the new stadium. Um, but in, t- in today's climate, post-pandemic, we know everything around what people are dealing with right now. Um, there is so much great, um, great stuff that came out of this year right now. And, uh, um, as tough as it is, I'm sure, for everyone involved with the team, uh, um, it, it is noted, and uh, I think there's a lot to build on going forward. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's you know, perfectly said, Huss. Uh, you know, while obviously understandably disappointing for, for Bomber fans and to have it done in that fashion two years in a row, it's, it's a tough sell to, you know, to suggest brighter days. But, you know, I think anyone who is a, you know, a, a committed Bomber fan and certainly those who are around the team covering them. You know, I think this is a, this is a team while, as you mentioned, might not be discussed as a dynasty moving forward is a, is a club that you can be proud of. And I think, you know, we talked about the other teams. I won't go back into that. Um, this is a team that is, was always in the community. I, I wrote this in my, my post game piece. There's a responsibility that comes with, with winning as much as you do. And as long as you have, and that, that, comes with the pressure of fans who who go from you know the Joe Mack era where it was expected losses to the Mike O'Shea Zach Kolaris era of expecting wins and there's a pressure to deliver and the Bombers have been doing a lot of winning and on top of that you need to be accessible the CFL is, an, is the most accessible accessible league professional sports league that there is and so when you when you have such a when you're in such a football hotbed like we are in Winnipeg and you have such passionate fans that care about the players and sell out the stadium and, and want to, you know, want to know them personally. There's not a, you know, there's not a team in this entire league that went to more events that, that set up more charities that provided more, you know, chances to speak to them and get to know to them. You know, guys were being asked all the time and would always deliver. And, you know, there were guys that moved here and lived here full times. There's guys here that started families or grew their families. And that is, that's just such a special thing for 2023. And I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to ever see that. I mean, we might see that with Montreal just because of some of the players' roots to the city. 
I think Wade Miller set the blueprint on how to build a successful team to bring in local guys, to have them embrace the city, and then have the Americans come in and people around the league to buy into the culture, to buy into the city, to buy into the province and support fans. And so while you know, it is a disappointing situation for a lot of people, I think you can take a lot of pride in, in, uh, in knowing that this group was your group uh, and they represented you well for as long as they have. Hammer, travel safe, get some sleep, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next few days, buddy. Thanks again for everything. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate the time, and shout out to the commenters. You guys know you make the show. Yeah, you're getting a lot of love, a lot of love in the chat. Um, there we and, go. Uh, as, as is, uh, as is uh, appropriate um, at this time at the end of the season. Hey, listen, we are, uh, we are going to be talking about the Jets uh, and what a weekend they had, what a start to the season they have had. Jamie Thomas joining us coming up in just a second. But just to put a bow on this um, chat that we've had, we sort of teased this a couple times. Reem, if you can, just cue up clip number one. Um, this was a, a, a devastated Zach Caleros um, speaking at Tim Horton's field yesterday after the loss on um, coming up just short. Uh, sad, disappoint. I mean, disappointed is probably wrong. We're sad, you know, just, you know, you play, you play to win the game, you play to win the last one. Then we came up short. Um, you know, Montreal was a few plays better than us. Um, just really sad. Uh, there's just a lot of good guys in the locker room. And, you know, guys that might not be able to play again. And he want to win for them. And the guys that could be out there. And, and yeah, this is a lot of good people. You just don't want to let people down. It's just, it's, it's terrible. Game so close like that. What's what is the difference? Um, just again, a handful of plays you can look back on. Um, you know, plays you went back. Obviously, there's turnovers. I had a turnover in the red zone. Uh, we we turned one over earlier um, in the game. Um, again, I'm sure when we watch the tape, there'll be things that were left out there on second downs that we could have probably um, executed a bit better. Um, to convert on second down and or on first down to you know to get us in better you know manageable situations. I don't you know I I, I don't want to take away anything away from Montreal. They 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 play better um, and they deserve to win. All right, there was Zach Caleros, uh, you know, facing the music afterwards, uh, standing up as the leader and the quarterback that he is, but uh, obviously wearing it a lot after. Count up just short in the 110th Grey Cup. Um, we are going to uh, we're going to brighten all of your days right now by uh, talking about the Jets <laughs> and what a weekend they had. Just before we do that, I have to give a huge thanks to Princess Auto. They uh, not only have been an incredible sponsor of the Winnipeg Football Club and were well represented in Hamilton, um, but a huge part of what we've been able to build here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And you know they're with us throughout the year day in and day out, but, you know, in particular as it relates to bomber coverage on this program have been a massive, massive part of it, and we can't thank them enough. Um, of course, you know, homegrown, headquartered right here in Winnipeg and the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Pop by and see them in town, in uh, person. Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, uh, or shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. 
Uh, big shout out to my pal Greg from Royal Sports. Greg was out there. I tilted a few with him on the weekend. Um, I think he's now 32 straight Grey Cups, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I know a lot of Bomber fans were jumping over to Royal for that massive Bomber section going into the Grey Cup. Um, good news. You can still get down to Royal Sports. You can get your new Jets gear as uh, they are completely packed with thousands of pieces of Jets merchandise, all the jerseys, uh, customized as you want, just in time for the holidays, and tons of exclusives you won't find anywhere else. And as I move on from yesterday to tonight, and a huge game between the Chiefs and the Eagles in a Super Bowl rematch, um, you can get your uh, full, uh, your favorite NFL teams merch there as well. It really is the the number one sports superstore, maybe anywhere, but particularly in the middle of this country. Get on down there with new stock arriving daily, just in time for the holidays. Follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information, and uh, pop by and see them at 750 Pemina Highway. And speaking of that football game tonight, I know I saw. Uh, a number of tweets from folks that went out to Boston Pizza for the official watch party yesterday uh, to watch the game. I'm sure it was a lot of fun for about 58 minutes of it. Um, but uh, BP will be the place tonight. I mean, your local Boston Pizza will be cranking out maybe the game of the year with all those great Monday night football specials, chances to win a trip to Las Vegas, as well as NFL jerseys. And, of course, happy hour prices all night long. Great deals on those ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and more. If you got anything left in the tank after Grey Cup weekend, tonight, Boston Pizza is the place to be. And if you are staying at home, you're probably too tired to cook anyway, so you can order online at bostonpizza.com. All right. Um, as I said right off the bat, bless the Jets, because I think a lot of us needed us needed this today. Um, I was hoping, and I tweeted out, good things happen in threes, and the Jets took care of their part of the bargain with big home wins on Friday and Saturday, finishing up a 4-1 and one homestand and now hit the road in a uh, very nice spot in the Central Division Western Conference standings. Jamie Thomas joins us from Jets HQ. JT, what's going on? We are in your old stomping grounds of the hammer on the weekend. What a great oh. time. Yeah, what a great place. Um, I had I had the best time covering the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and you know I think Hamilton is is a very underrated town. Um, doesn't get the credit that it should uh, for the longest time. And I, I listen. I know as you as a big, huge Bomber fan, and you're down today. And I know Bomber fans are kind of bummed out. But I listen. I for what they have done the last four years, there has to be like still some excitement about what they've done. It's incredible. Um, I remember, you remember the good years with John Huffnagel when he first took over the Calgary Stampeders and they owned the Western division. Like they were dominant and they did not have anywhere close to the run that the Bombers are on right now. And I, you know, I go as far back as the, you know, great cup domination by the Edmonton Eskimos in the eighties and five straight great cups. So it's to me, <clears throat> yeah, it sucks. They lost yesterday and the way it happened stinks. But what they what they have created is phenomenal, and and I can understand. You know, Bomber fans have uh, there are brighter days ahead. This is just such a fantastic program that they have here, and I, I don't have any doubts that they'll be one of the teams getting back to to the Grey Cup next year. But uh, it, yeah, it sucks the way they've lost, but it's it's exciting every year knowing and being comfortable with the fact that you're going to compete for a Grey Cup. And I think that's great for Bomber fans. Well, for sure. And listen, I mean, we're Winnipeg sports talk here, and I think the Venn yeah. diagram of hardcore Bomber fans and big Jet fans mm -hmm. is pretty close to a circle. 
Um, and it was great to see. I mean, I, I was bummed out to miss those two home games just the way yeah. the schedule worked out. Um, but to see the uh, the Jets, you know, wishing the Bombers luck and seeing some chants, chanting, chanting for the mm-hmm. Bombers in the midst of two great wins, I think speaks to um, you know the uh, the excitement for both of the teams right now. And listen, the team that you're covering uh, there in downtown <laughs> continues to build off this great start. Um, you know, I, but probably not one of their best performances of the year on Friday against Buffalo. Right. Maybe got a yeah. little sketchy in the third period. Um, but listen, not everything is going to be a Picasso. This is pro sports. It is about winning. They got it done. And then I, I, I'll be honest. I was nervous about that second game against Arizona. I, I, you know, the Jets have owned Arizona for the last number of years. Arizona was here chilling on Friday night mm-hmm. as the Jets played the Buffalo Sabres. They had just beat them coming back from 2-0 a couple weeks ago down in Arizona. Um, and this is a pretty good young team with a lot of potential. And the Jets handled it as well. I mean, overall, I mean, a hell of a way to finish off this homestand, maintain and build on their spot in the Central Division before they get out to, uh, you know, see what they can do on the road. Yeah, I, the most impressive part to me, Huss, is, yeah, you didn't play very well. They, You know, third period was a real challenge. They gave a three breakaways in that game against the Sabres, and Connor Hellebuck has to bail them out. Is it not huge to you and anybody, your listeners and viewers, fact that they haven't had to lean on Connor Hellebuck, that he hasn't had to steal him a game like he did in the third period. That, to me, tells all. It should tell all of all of us. There's Things are working. Five on five, they are dominant right now. And the fact that they haven't had to go and stare at 37, hey, man, can you bail us out tonight a bunch of times like they have in years past, I think that's something you can hang your hat on right now, and it's everybody buying in. They have defended so well in their own end. There hasn't been those glaring errors like we saw numerous times against Buffalo. But let's let's give the Sabres some credit. They are extremely challenging, and they have great talent up and down their lineup. Clearly, the goaltending is still an issue in Buffalo. But to survive that game and win and then play the next night against Arizona, you know, who had been playing well, they're at the end of a five-game road trip. But to not allow them a scoring chance through the entire third period tells me that this, you know, to play the back end of that way and to play as well as they did in the third period where you should be tired, I think is something to be excited about. And that commitment to team defense continues here. They keep talking about it and talking about it. And we saw it throughout that homestand, albeit for stretches against Buffalo and then, the, of course, losing to Dallas. Um, there, there's a lot to be excited about right now with the way the team is playing at five on five as they try, you know, the power play is going well, still working at the work in progress with the penalty kill at this point. Well, and, and, and listen to your point about Hellebuck. Yeah. I, mean, I think everyone knows I'm the biggest Hellebuck backer that you'll find. Yeah. Um, I, listen, I you had him in your, we, port, your Mount Rushmore, buddy. We, we, Hey, we all know that Connor Hellebuck had another level, maybe a couple other levels that we've mm-hmm. seen so far this season. And to step up when his team needed it the way he did on Friday night is is only a good thing for the Winnipeg Jets because overall they've been a very consistent team night in and night out with their five-on-five play. And I think as Hellebuck goes, um, the penalty kill will naturally improve. And then for LB to come in and get that win, yeah. I mean, that's big for him. But, you know, it's nice to see the goalies come in and especially Hellebuck who, you know, is the backbone of this team have a uh, – have a real, real strong performance. But when you look around this club, um, you know, night in and night or day in and day out on this program, talking about the Jets' game so far this season, 
Like, I'm not sure there's one guy that we haven't been talking about in one situation as being a big time difference maker. That's really had a big hand in wins. And, um, you know, it hadn't been as often as we've been talking about Hellebuck and listen, that's a good thing right now for a team because we know what this guy has in him. But, um, listen, the start overall was already great going into the weekend. I mean, now they're, they're really in a position where they've got an opportunity to establish themselves, not just a team that should be in the playoffs or could be in the top three, but, you know, take a run at Colorado and Dallas. Yeah, I agree with you. <clears throat> I think, too, just the challenges are in front of you. You play, and here's what the best part about this road trip is coming up. It's just like ordinarily they play Tampa and Florida or reverse, and they, it's always back-to-back. They don't play back-to-back at all on this road trip. And listen, the fact they only have seven back-to-backs this year, one of them was at home, it is a schedule that is leaning in your favor. There's a lot of breathing time between games. You know, every game against Tampa is always high event. And the fact that you don't have to play in Florida the next night and, you know, have that very physical, like Florida plays a physical brand. We saw it all through the playoffs. And, I, and, and when, I, when the Jets played against the Florida Panthers on the road and how physical Florida was that night, the Jets escaped with a win because of Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck. I was just saying anybody was listening to me that team could go to the Stanley like a final the way the play the way they're playing so the fact they don't have to go back to back that way is a big benefit for them and uh it's they're in a good place right now but you got three lines that are rolling you know it was brought up today by John Lou from TSN you know because Gabe Velarde skated with the team for the first time today as a group I know he did the skills cup or skills uh, practice with them but this was actual line rushes and everything you know you're now you're starting to have conversations about where he fits in and how that roster looks. And Scott Arneal says, I haven't, you know, I, I don't want to talk about that right now, which is fair, because that, that would be, that will be a headache when that situation comes up. But to have three lines playing the way they are, all six of your defensemen playing well. And I know Logan Stanley's been in and out of the lineup, and Nate Schmidt's been in and out of the lineup when those opportunities come up. But everybody's playing good hockey right now. And to go to, uh, they leave today, you know, they skate tomorrow in Tampa. They play the Tampa Light now Wednesday. They're in a really good spot, buddy. And I agree with you. This is I, I always thought they were a top three team in the division. But this is there's to me, there's some the way things are going looking right now, and this consistent play comes up, there's a real legitimate threat to be in a conversation to talk about winning the division when April rolls around. I saw a couple of uh friends that are huge bomber fans after the game and everyone mm. was still sort of stunned yesterday. And yeah, you know, they were kind of moping around they said well listen we'll see you in section 316 at the the next homestand and i'm like right on i said hey you want to feel better yeah. pull up your app there check the nhl scoring leaders right now yeah kyle connor and listen mark shifley on the weekend as well um mm. you know for a long time this year we were talking about the adam lowry line i mean we, we've got to talk about cole perfetti in the run that he's on right now ehlers sure. you know established himself but Holy smokes. I mean, Kyle Connor is feeling it. I mean, that ripper that he had um, on the weekend um, to make it 14 and to, to step ahead of Austin Matthews mm-hmm. uh, was something else. And then, I mean, that toe drag by Scheif and then what's going on the back end. I mean, when these guys are feeling it, I, listen, I, I kind of joked before when, you know, Scheif was um, talking at one point in the last couple seasons about, you know, who he was playing with and when he used the word magical players. These yeah. guys are kind of magical players right now when they're going the way they are. Yeah, and with Christmas approaching, it all makes sense with magical uh, at this moment. It's 
I think for there, there was a stretch there because we were talking about the third line for for a long time, and then you know the first line got going, and then it was Josh Morrissey tying a franchise record with four assists, and Kyle Connor's got another goal he's leading. You talk about Mark Shifley. It's rare that when he's playing this well, where he flies underneath the radar as much as he is right now, and, and, and you know you see the points popping up, but we're always talking about somebody else. We're talking about Connor Hellebuck, and Kyle Connor deserves all the attention, and Nikolai Ehlers gets a, a great bounce the other night against Buffalo. And Cole Perfetti is on that uh, that point streak. Um, I think Mark Shifley uh, has been playing his best hockey so far this year, and that's in all three zones of the ice, right? So, and so much of the Jets' offense is coming from the defensive side of the game, um, and it's turning into you know shutting things down at one end and then going back the other way and scoring. Carter Neal mentioning today, you know, we've they've always been able to score. We've all known that. Anybody that's watched this team over, you know, since I've been here. Since 1718, they've they've always been able to score, but the fact that they're locking things down the way they are is so huge, man. Like it, it's that part of the game we're starting to appreciate a lot more because you know the, for a while the power play wasn't going, the penalty kill hasn't been where it has been. So what you're five on five, as long as that base is there at five v five, everything else will take care of itself. And sure, you're going to need your power play a lot more, and yeah, they're going to have to lock down things a lot more with the penalty kill. But the five five v five is what you're basing everything off of right now, and I feel very comfortable saying that they can go up at anybody with five, at five on five right now, and and not you know bat an eye at all, and that says a lot, especially with the the quality of teams they're going to be facing uh, the first two parts of of this road trip. Yeah, so it's a three gamer, um, and again. Mm-hmm. They start on Wednesday, so it's Wednesday and Friday this week yeah. as opposed to, you know, usually we've seen a lot of Tuesday-Thursday games for the Jets. And then another big game in Nashville in the Central Division to figure the, the to finish up the, the three-gamer. And then another crack at the Dallas Stars on the <laughs> 28th, which is going to be huge. And then Connor McDavid and the Oilers coming in. That's our next WST pack game, so we're all fired up about that. As you um, should be. But listen, um, <laughs> and I listen. Scott O'Neill didn't want to talk about it and kind of joked that he's tried not to think about it too much yeah. because of how difficult the decision is. But <laughs> this is why we're here. Yeah. Um, when do we think Gabriel Velarde might be able to get back into the lineup? And just from your perspective, Jamie, I mean, when you've got lines like the top line, the second line, the third line going the way they are right now, mm-hmm. I mean, man, I don't envy um, Scott O'Neill having to be the guy that makes that decision. Um, because obviously Velarde's the guy that, you know, is going to be a big, big part of this team moving forward. But uh, there's no obvious spot. Wow, this line isn't going. This guy's not doing it. You just put him in there. And that's a credit to the way the team's playing overall. Yeah, it is. And I think, so, Sardinio is very clear about this. Gabe Velarde is a top six forward. Flat out. That's automatically where you're penciling him in. John Lou even asked about, there's a thought for putting him up the middle. But he said that, you know, Arneal added that that's not really the place where you want to start him when he comes back from an injury. And to your first question, my friend, he did say there's a, there's a chance he could play on this road trip. That, that I mean, that already has your eyebrow raising a little bit of, of, of excitement. So today was the first time where he's, you know, having to move around. Like the first time he skated with his teammates, it was a skills practice. So there wasn't that contact. He still had non-contact yellow on today. But eventually, you have to imagine that comes off this week. You got to practice tomorrow in Tampa. Uh, they skate again Thursday when they get to Florida. So there's a lot of practice time in there. There's an off day Saturday before they take on the uh, Nashville Predators. But there's enough time in there and morning skates uh, for them to get Velarde in a non-contact jersey and see if he can handle that. It's all about conditioning, my friend. 
You know, you can't just throw them in there and expect the best, especially if you're going to play top six minutes, you're going to play in that first power play. Um, that's where you have to see where, where he's at. But today is a huge step for him to be out there and actually having to move and avoid contact, you know, the way you, you ordinarily would in a game and test out the knee the way you want to and get comfortable with it. But the fact that you can, you're, you're, they're playing the well as well as they are right now. And, oh, we're going to throw Gabriel Velarde back in here. That's, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of optimism surrounding that. So there's a, there's a chance he plays on this road trip because of the way it shakes down. No back-to-backs, lots of practice time, a day off Saturday. So maybe we see him in Nashville. Maybe we see him in Florida. You never know. But uh, it's all about his conditioning and how comfortable he feels about taking contact again. Jamie, uh, the other guy that you know we will begin to start talking about a potential return is uh, is Vili Hanela. Um, yeah. He's got the walking boot off. He's been around. Um, you know, I guess we can have the, you know, at what point does he get into the lineup? Um, you know, but right now it seems like both Nate Schmidt and Logan Stanley have been given an opportunity to sort of prove that they'll be the guy that at mm. least is a regular right now. I mean, um, how did Stan do on the weekend? And uh, what do you make of that third pairing right now up until Vili's able to challenge for regular playing time? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. And, uh, you know, it, it is extremely challenging to be Logan Stanley. Um, you know, he, he was okay in his game, his back-to-back games. Uh, you know, Nate Schmidt finds his way back in the lineup against Arizona in the second game of that back-to-back on the Saturday. So it's you know, one thing with Nate Schmidt, he's a veteran player. He understands the situation. If you say, hey, man, we, we got to bring this guy because he can't sit around forever. Nate Schmidt's going to be cool with that. Um, like any, you know, of course, he's not going to like being the fact that he's not playing, but Billy Hanel kind of lurking around the background slow, you know, he has, I haven't seen him skating yet, but he's getting closer to that. And I've, you know, on Saturday, they went with Pionk and Dylan on the second pairing, they put Sandberg and Schmidt together because they've all played together. So I, I don't have any problems with the third defense pairing in any situation for the Jets. They went 11 and seven. You know, the other night too as well. So I know they don't want to do that too often, but at least there's that option to do that too if the Jets are short of forward. But now you're getting Gabriel Velarde back here eventually. So I don't think 11 and 7 is really going to be uh, an option at that point. So it's it's going to be another one of those situations where you're like, okay, how does Billy Hainala fit with this and how are we going to get him ice time? Um, that That's going to be the big challenge. And does he go to the Manitoba Moose first, which makes the most sense to get his conditioning back? But, oh, I would know, think that would happen for sure. I mean, Billy's yeah. going to need, and because the thing is, this is a big opportunity for him when he does get in the lineup. But yeah. I mean, I think he had, by all accounts, he'd earned a spot in the opening lineup, and he was going to be that sixth defenseman. Um, but again, he still has played limited amount of times in the NHL, and yeah. for the team and for him, the best thing you can do is have Billy getting a bunch of games in under his belt and being able to come in really confident not having not played in two months yeah. and realizing that every shift matters because there's a lot of other players that are willing to take that spot if you can't get the job done at the level that is expected yeah for sure and it, I mean, life is totally unfair because i was pleasantly surprised the way Villiers played through training camp and, and the preseason and i'm with you if there's a lock for him to be in the top eight and it'd be a great option to throw him in there as well so yeah, what what point down the line does Billy Hanel get his chance to be back in the NHL? It's going to be really tough because where where's your where you know you have that confidence level that you had if you're Billy Hanel before the injury. Oh, holy cow, playing my best right now. I feel the best I felt going into the, uh, an NHL regular season. Where how long does it take for that confidence to come back for Billy Hanel after he returns from his injury? 
because um, there's questionably no doubt that he's going to be playing some NHL games this year because how can you not give him that opportunity the way he was playing? So, again, another positive for the Jets in your, in your, in your lineup is how does that fit in and you have these options uh, up and down the lineup and certainly down at the Manitoba Moose level as well. Yeah, one thing I think I can confidently say that barring another injury, um, and I know some people may not have the same level of patience as uh, as others, Billy Hainala will be in this lineup and will be contributing to the Winnipeg Jets at some point this season. Um, obviously, a huge setback with the injury that you know robbed him the opportunity to do it right out of the gate, but he will be in the mix. Jamie, um, you know, with all this winning and the good vibes yeah. around the team and the fan base. Uh, I know folks can't get enough Jets content to fill people in on what you have uh, cooking up at ground control and uh, with all the other content along with the team uh, at HQ. Yeah. Ground control has been a great opportunity for me because it's just, and you, you have relaxed interviews with players. Huss. That's one of your, your gifts, right? And the fact that we've, you know, we just had Mason Appleton on, I just had asked him randomly about how, who, which one of the members of the Jets would he hate to watch a game with? And the fact that he said it was Neil Pion, I think he, the two of them would have would get in a fight if they watched a Vikings uh, Packers <laughs> like game Pack together. For sure. You know what I mean? Like he just said he wouldn't do it. So that's uh, the fact. And then the you know, hey, I that's a great a content opportunity right there. The yeah. next time the Packers and the Vikings mic those guys up and let they, her go, they play, buddy. They play in Saint Saint Paul on the thirty first, and Sunday night football is Packers Vikings. So they fly back that day. They should be home in time for the game uh, in their own beds because they, they play, obviously, on the second at home uh, here in Winnipeg after New Year's Day. So uh, the way the schedule shakes out, it's perfect for Packers-Vikings. You know, the, you know the, the, talking to Mason Appleton, who has been, you know, the last couple of years, you really see him come out of his shell because of how comfortable he is with everything and the way he talks. Just to hear him, I'd asked him about, he was like 165 pounds before he went and played the USHL. And I'd read an article somewhere that, you know, he had been asked to put on some weight. And then he told a great story about the, the protein shakes that he had that had raw eggs. So, you know, Ground Control comes out again tomorrow. Um, we have the great John Garrett coming on the show. And John Garrett tells as good a story as anybody. Um, I totally forgot that he was part of the, broad, the Winnipeg Jets regional broadcast back in the day on CKY, I believe it was, in the 80s and 90s. Of course, I always remember on Hockey Night in Canada, and he'll tell stories about uh, working with Don Whitman. You know, even me growing up at Calgary, I appreciate Don Whitman for who he was. He called every game between the Jets and the Flames on Hockey Night in Canada, and what a great broadcaster he was. So John Garrett will be our guest on the podcast. That, that's going to be released tomorrow. Well, uh, you know, keep on doing what you're doing, both as the host of Ground Control with Winnipeg Jet Media and one heck of a fantasy commissioner. <laughs> I need my guy, Legereus Need, and the Chiefs defense to shut down Antonio Brown tonight. And yeah. uh, and the Chiefs defense, the Eagles can score. Yeah. Only field goals, though. Only yeah. field goals. Jake Elliott, maybe I can take out uh, uh, Bengal Burrow, who... Um, is leading our league at nine and one right now. So this is a big, yeah, he's, but he's big, holding this. big influence. Who's, who's his back? Oh, he, well, he's got, man, he's got Howell and Brock Purdy. Um, yeah, gross. very well. Whose team is that? That is a good friend of mine, uh, Scott Reese, uh, who, who works pretty sharp, pretty sharp. He's, he's, he obviously he's not doing his job at the Apple store because his fantasy team is working. I would say Lots I'm terrible because I'm so locked in at my job. So my terror, I, although I did knock off one of the up and comer of the top teams in our league this past week, uh, NASDAQ. Um, Thank you for doing I, that. Yeah, no problem. That's what I'm here for. I'm also disappointed in your uh, broadcast partner, Dustin Nielsen, 
who left four buy spots locked in on his roster in our league this week. So you, you know, know what? It's funny. I saw that late Saturday night. Yeah. And, and I, I gave, you know why I'm, I'm a disappointed with him? Because you were doing the exact same thing he was in Hamilton this week, and you found a way to start your lineup, buddy. I will say this. He was a little <laughs> busier than I was on the weekend. He did the four hours yeah. uh, hosting the TSN desk for yeah. Grey Cup Saturday, then had to go to a production meeting. Yeah. Then we hooked up a little later on and did go out and then had to be at the Football Reporters of Canada breakfast at 8.15. Yeah. I, listen, it's definitely Us. a yellow card. It's it's Us. a it's a yellow card and potentially Us. a red. I've um, started some of my best fantasy lineups hammered, so yeah. I don't want to hear this stuff. Here, <laughs> you know, there's no inhibitions. You're not questioning yourself. You're like, this guy looks really good. Devastating so, loss for Dusty, though, because yeah. to be honest, I mean, that was a very winnable game against yeah. uh, against Rogers Achilles and. Yeah. He's also um, mailed it in this year. Like, he just, like, you got to take advantage of the teams that have mailed it in. These well, are the teams you look at. And, but Dusty's like, I'm disappointed. I, I will, I will. I know bring, he's better than that. I can assure you it will be addressed tomorrow on the lock shot <laughs> when we're both, uh, when we're both back together. Can hey, you take listen. a screenshot of his roster and put yeah. it up while you're doing the show? <laughs> good, good point. Um, but yeah, kind of back to the grind uh, with Dusty yeah. tomorrow on the lock shop and normal enough for the Winnipeg Jets. Practice yeah. tomorrow down in Florida and a big one to get this road trip started against the Lightning on Wednesday. Jamie, thanks so much for doing this. Enjoy what should be an awesome game tonight. Okay, buddy. Take care. Appreciate it. There it is, JT, Jamie Thomas. Check out Ground Control dropping tomorrow uh, on the uh, Winnipeg Jets channels. Um, saw a lot of ch- uh, chat about the uh, WST holiday gathering which we're going to be doing on wednesday december 6th at little brown jug we've been so busy with gray cup i promise details i will be in touch with them tomorrow uh and uh, fill you in on everything working on a couple nice little uh additions to the uh to the event to the program if you will uh but just save the date december 6th more details coming up in the next couple days cannot wait to do that and again I think there was probably, by many Bomber fans here, uh, a few little brown jugs to drown the sorrows after the game last night. I mean, hey, if you are going to have a few cold ones, you may as well make it Winnipeg's best local beer, LBJ, which you can now pick up at Craft Beer Corner in Section 310 in the arena. And, of course, uh, 126 down in the lower bowl. Man, getting to the end of the show has been a challenge with my current condition. Um, and again, I will lean on cough syrup, but uh, for those of you that are heading out tonight or just watching the game, pick up 1919, generic, all your favorites, either at the Tap Room and Brewery where we'll be doing the event on William Avenue or your local vendor. Wherever sells great beer, they'll have a little brown jug. And a big shout-out to Nick and Nikki DQ for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk as well. Uh, ice cream, cakes, novelties, those delicious stack burgers, blizzards. They've got you covered at DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ Niverville. And don't forget the new Pita Pit in Niverville as well. You want catering? Hit them up on X or Instagram at Pita Pit Niverville. Remo, I knew, and this is not new for me. I've had some of my biggest struggles in my broadcasting career on the Monday after Grey Cup, but we're just about at the finish line, pal. Yeah, we're here. I can't believe we even uh, made it back. Seriously, uh, you know, not only did our flight land 
on time and take off on time. Sorry, not only did a flight take off on time, which is always a, a question mark at the Pearson International Airport, we landed early. Absolutely incredible. Was able to come home, take my post plane shower, eat, make coffee, find all the gear that I needed in my uh, in my bags, and get set up. And we did land. Although someone informed me, Hus, I had to when we were at the airport. I was like, oh, I got to schedule the show on YouTube. Uh, I got mixed up with the time zones. I scheduled it for. I knew I was in the East time zone, so I scheduled for one p.m., which was twelve. Central, so I think people were waiting around here at 12, expecting us to go live. Those damn time zones uh, really mixed me up, which was... Uh, <laughs> time zones! Time zones. Time zones. Really unfortunate. Although I did, you know, the East time zone, I did enjoy, you know, doing the show at 2. Gave us a little extra hour yeah. of prep. But, man, like, the Jets game started at 8. These East Coast games are going super late, too. What a terrible time zone. Well, remember that bar sports. we were at on Saturday night closed before the end of the uh, end of the Canucks game. Yeah. So. And we just went back to Bomber House and all that. That was when we hooked up with Dusty and Naylor and those guys. Mm-hmm. By the way, Anchor Bar, huge L. You've got thousands of CFL fans right beside and you close at 12 on a Saturday. What are you doing? Yeah, Anyways. I don't know. Uh, I'm well, not sure. I don't know. Overall, um... Tonight, let's get to the cool bet lines. Special thanks to Pat and Jake, uh, who have referred to themselves as the replacements, who uh, took over the lock shop today, as well as Thursday, as we were all in transit and busy with Grey Cup stuff. Uh, Did a great job in the lock shop. Dusty and I will be back tomorrow at noon, Winnipeg time, on the Edmonton Sports Talk channel. What a game to come back to. And if it wasn't for the Grey Cup, I would be at this game tonight. We'll get to KC a little later on, hopefully for playoffs and Listen, there's a lot at stake when it comes to the playoffs for this game tonight. Top two teams in each conference. The Eagles in Kansas City at Arrowhead. Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, Eagles even money at plus two-and-a-half. Chiefs minus 109 at two-and-a-half. Total for this game is 46. You know what? Patrick Mahomes has done so many great things for me. Uh, It would be a perfect night for Mahomes to go in and have a monster, monster game and a big win to help me and any Bomber fans who also love the Chiefs get over what happened yesterday maybe a little bit quicker. I'm looking at the Mahomes TD prop. Over two and a half, plus 200. That's where you'll see me on tonight. And the Chiefs minus two and a half. Um, and shout out to Patty. Patty had a great, the, the Patty G's tease came through last night. I hit that before I left because I wasn't able to get into the site while I was in Ontario, but we're back, and uh, that was a nice little boost, so we'll be jumping on that. The guys did put uh, together a few replacement exclusives in the Lock Shop Partner Parlays. They've got one A.J. Brown, 70-plus receiving yards, um, Swift, 50-plus rushing yards, and Mahomes, 25-plus rushing yards. That's plus 340. We've also got a hockey one, Edmonton or Florida, over 65 Dallas to win, and Nikchushkin, three or more shots. That's plus 420. And uh, Patty's primetime parlay. We always put the field goals in there. Over three and a half field goals. Chris Jones to get a sack, and Jalen Hurts to get into the end zone. That one is plus 850. Uh, All there at CoolBet. Use the promo code WST if you haven't played uh, before. 
And uh, that was nice of Pat to put together that winning parlay that I got in on because it made up for my wager on the Bombers to cover the spread. I'm still... I'm still stunned about the game, but I'll tell you what, Remus, the, the memories of all of this will be of the Bomber fans, of this great team, this great era, Blue Bomber football, and just how much fun we had in Hamilton, despite the uh, very unfortunate end from a, of the game from a Winnipeg perspective. Yeah, the ending, definitely sad. I don't know if we'll ever uh, get over this, and you're going to wonder what could have been with the team, but following the Bombers um, over the last four years has been so much fun. And, I mean, there was a time when, as John referenced, um, you know, people weren't going to the games, uh, you know, the team wasn't very good and it was a really bad situation to have a team that, you know, has been to straight, four straight Grey Cups, amazing accomplishment. Yeah, they could not win two and, uh, real, I mean, games where they were definitely in and, and could have won, but I think having this type of a competitive team that has endeared itself to the community and, uh, I, you know, you love the consistency with the roster as well. I feel like people have gotten to know the players, um, you know, I think that they've given us a, a lot of great people saying, hey, I still love going in the summer, having a great time. Definitely is a terrible feeling uh, losing. Uh, I mean, that really sucks. But uh, I think they've definitely given us a lot of good over the last couple of years. And oh. I, I mean, it's been so much fun to follow it. Just uh, this ending, very painful. And I echo John saying I had flashbacks uh, to Chad Kelly while Fajardo was in in that 13-yard run. But, hey, they still need to stop at third and five. They didn't. I sort of bring it up. Um, this is just yeah. another painful a lot uh, of what bomber ifs. things. A lot of what-ifs from yesterday's game. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. um, a couple other things that we should mention. Um, man, uh, listen, I've seen people have been talking about line A. Line A, yeah. healthy scratch by Pascal Vincent. And, uh, and that, uh, listen, he's still got a ton of fans here and many fans in the chat. So... You wonder what the future for Liney is, especially right at a time where I believe it's the two-year anniversary of the death of his father, which I know I think really, really impacted him as well. Um, so I'm definitely pulling for the guy. Although for all the people that said get him back right now, I mean, listen, I think that would be a great story, but I don't know if the Jets are really... Jets are looking to find a spot for Gabriel Velarde in the lineup right now and keep on doing what they're doing. They're in a pretty good spot right now and cannot wait for this game on Wednesday. As we uh, as we get going, um, a couple of other uh, things just to uh, just to touch on, and I think it was Bridget just put in, and I know you retweeted this, Remus. Um, Jacqueline Jeffcoat, Jackson Jeffcoat's sister, tweeted out: ninety nine percent of the Winnipeg fans are amazing, but that one percent, you guys are the absolute worst. Tweeting the players awful things will not change the outcome of the game. I know you said that, Remo, but that is just low. I mean. And I think we're so lucky with the culture, the community, I should say, of the people that are with us in the show each and every day. Um, but listen, hard no on that. Just have your take, say what you want, but tweeting at individual players so they'll get it in their mentions, especially when you're shit-talking them, just not cool at all. Yeah, and, the, and one thing I love about the CFL is how accessible it is, how accessible the players are. I mean, we're at uh, the Bomber House around, you know, around midnight or whatever, and who walks in? G-Roy Simon. You know, he's currently in the front office with Edmonton, one of the greatest receivers of all time, and you loved having that relationship. But, I mean, you see it in, in other sports too, NHL, NFL. If someone, like, loses a bet or someone doesn't perform for their fantasy team, anyone who goes out of their way to tag a player in their mentions and trash talk them, you know, with pers you know personally, like, 
come on. You got better things to do. Uh, they don't deserve that. We're all human people. Now, look, sometimes like there's always going to be a winner and a loser in each one of these games. Certainly, unfortunately, the Bombers uh, weren't able to win. But you don't need to go and show up at anyone's mentions and you know tell them how much they suck or whatever. You know, you can you can do that privately. I get, I guess, but you don't need to. You don't need to go and attack anyone. Not not cool. But as as she said, it was only it's only a very small minority of people has that have nothing better to do. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just you know, chill on that, folks, and be just be better than that. And I don't think I hope I'm not speaking to too many people that are with us or are listening to this, but it's an important reminder. Uh, just before we go, Remus, not only did you do a great job just with everything on the show over the over the week. But the quick turnaround today and also had a chance to show off your very style and new gray cup lid. How, how about that, folks? How, how cool is that one? Yeah, John um, had the hat. I don't know. Is that a trapper hat? I don't know what they call it. I have that. They gave it in our uh, gift bag. So I have that one, we'll too. Wear that but at some point. I saw this new era hat. Uh, let's see. It's got the new era flag. with. It's just the gray cup. I had to have it. Nice memento from our time there. And there was a patch with the current Grey Cup logo that was supposed to go here. Uh, I don't know. The guy at the shop couldn't put it on. So I got to figure out a way to attach it. Royal, we'll talk to Greg when he's back. He'll be able to take care of that. I can pretty much guarantee you that. Um, folks, that's going to do it for us. There need. I am a game time decision uh, for this football game tonight. <laughs> I will certainly be watching it. Um, but I have a feeling that if I can get a couple, maybe three hours of sleep and rest, I might be able to pull a Dalton Schoen and Adam Big Hill and hook up with my buddies for the game of the year that I've been looking forward to since the schedule came out. Um, but regardless, be a great game. Get your mind off what happened yesterday in Hamilton. Enjoy Philly and KC going at it in Monday Night Football. Join us tomorrow. We'll have more on the Jets as they get ready to kick off this road trip. Um, Probably hear a little bit more audio from the Bombers post Grey Cup, as well as, as Jeff said, uh, assuming that tomorrow will sort of be the final media availability for the club. Um, but, you know, all in all, sucks the way that the game ended, but congratulations to the Bombers on a fantastic season. No small feat to get to four straight Grey Cups for the first time in almost 50 years of any team in the Canadian Football League. And uh, you know what? Congratulations and credit to Fajardo Moss and the Montreal Alouettes for going out and winning that great cup in the fashion that they did incredibly is the longest shot on the odds board at the beginning of the season. Um, and appreciate all the words from, uh, from everybody. Just thanks. Thanking us for the coverage for the great cup and the bomber season. Um, you know, we're not going anywhere. We'll be talking bombers throughout the off season with player moves. I think there's a lot of intrigue more than there has been in previous years. And we'll always be uh, having time for that here on the program. I know the bombers are back to work getting their season ticket base going. Uh, and uh, listen, I can't wait to get to the stadium next year. And hey, drive for five straight Western Division champs and another shot in the Grey Cup. You can't win the thing if you don't get there. So uh, that'll be our focus uh, throughout the offseason for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But uh, it's Jets time right now. This team's playing great. Big, big road trip beginning on Wednesday. We'll tee it all up tomorrow, as well as kind of a final bow on the Bombers season with a little bit of audio coming out from the Winnipeg Football Club. And hopefully maybe catch up with Eddie Tate too. Be a great way. Ed's been so good to us this year talking about the season. Covered the team for so long. Be a great person to uh, to finish all up with. But um, 
Hopefully you enjoyed the programs from Hamilton. Uh, great, great response for the one we did on Saturday. Thanks to everyone that checked that out. Uh, now, like many of you, it's time to lick the wounds, get a little bit of rest, and get back at it for uh, tomorrow. We'll be uh, right here with you at 1 o'clock. We'll get back in the lock shop at noon over on Edmonton Sports Talk with Dusty as well, who had a big week. Um, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Oh, and before we go, um, and this will be a good thing. You can put it in the comments or certainly in the comments of the, of the, uh, the, the, of the show um, or in the chat right now. Uh, i got to give a shout-out to Trevor Knott at Knott Autocorp. Trev was out there with the crew. Uh, went to the, the blessing by Pope John III, uh, the legendary John Couture, who was at his 50th Grey Cup. John does an event before the Grey Cup each day, Grey Cup Sunday, uh, which was at the Shoeless Joe's across from our hotel. Uh, he's dressed up in the full Pope outfit. He's got Sister Linda with him and a couple of other bishops. There's a picture from it. Just, it was such a, it was such a cool moment. And I mean, that, that moment was what the CFL and the Grey Cup is all about. Fans from all across the league, John does basically a 30-minute stand-up act in this. I mean, it was absolutely hilarious. He blesses all the Grey Cup virgins that are there for the first time. Should have brought Remus there. Actually, that, you needed to have been blessed by the Pope for, uh, for your first Grey Cup time. Maybe we'll do that next time. But overall, to John, to all the Bomber fans that represented our city and team throughout the week, well done. I mean, such a great time. And uh, But why not question of the day um, for what, not Autocorp at Waverly McGillivray? What's the little, your lasting thought about this season and the Bombers, you know, after being able to sleep on the, uh, the crushing heartbreak of last night's loss? Let us know in the, uh, let us know in the chat. And also, uh, I mentioned, meant to do this earlier in the program. Um, shout out to Andrew Slusarchuk, Shane Croker, and Joe Sidus, who are our qualifiers from Monday, Thursday and Friday, as well as today, for the uh, autographed Trevor Linden jersey in the Prairie Natural Supplements package, courtesy of our friends at Vita Health. If you haven't already, get over to Vita, uh, get over to WinnipegSportsTalk.com slash contest, enter to win. We'll announce more qualifiers throughout the week, right up until November 30th. Everyone that qualifies gets a marble in a special Thursday marble race for the jersey and the Prairie Naturals package. All right, we got to get some sleep, as so many of you do. Thanks for all the support, folks. Thanks for being here today. Join us tomorrow, 1 p.m., right here on WST. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Go Chiefs. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.